0: the 90s welcome to the millennials of socal podcast with philly phil and nat attack let's talk about the music cartoons and everything else about the best generation
1: that is so yesterday hey everybody it's philly phil
2: and it's the nat attack
1: and we are
2: the millennials
1: of socal That's right, we're back at it again. This is the fourth episode of the Halloween series. That's right. More decorations are up. People's front lawns look like a graveyard. Super spooky, and it's a lot of fun when we go on our evening walks. Exactly, especially us. As of now, we put cobwebs and spiders all over our front yard. Well, our front patio. We don't have that much space for our front yard, but hey, we did something.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we've covered our bushes and... and, uh spider webs, and glow-in-the-dark spiders. Our son is so excited about it.
1: Yeah, even with the purple lights that we put all around the bushes.
2: Yeah, which I think is something new, because where I'm from originally in Santa Barbara, I'd only see yellow lights and or, like, orange lights. And, like, in Oxnard, I noticed that there's a lot of purple lights here, which is different and nice. It adds something, I think.
1: Yes, it does. It adds a lot to it. It's weird because I'm so used to orange lights, and it's something new for me.
2: Yeah, okay, so you've noticed that it's new, too, then.
1: Yeah, because usually when I see purple lights, usually they're not, like, the way they are. Um, usually they're just, um, like, neon lights, you know, you see in clubs.
2: Oh, yeah, sure. And
1: they use them for... Um, like sca- black light? No, um, like scare mazes.
2: Oh, sure, like horror mazes? Yeah. haunted house mazes and things like that?
1: Yes, 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 yeah. They use those colors, usually, but I've never seen them put on people's yards I don't know back then I don't remember I just know I seen a lot of orange yeah a lot of green yeah yeah but purple starting to come around
2: which I love it It's great. yes
1: yes and also too today we went to the pumpkin patch today and we got four pumpkins
2: yes we have started this um, every year since our son was born we each get our own pumpkin Like a daddy pumpkin, mommy pumpkin, and the baby pumpkins. And this year was our daughter's first pumpkin picking. It was so cute.
1: And she even tried to eat the dirt.
2: Oh, I know. I let her eat the dirt a little bit because, you know, we need the germs. It's fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, build up that immune system, huh? That's
2: right. Just a little bit. Don't worry. I took it out of her mouth afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's about right. So the past week, something that interests me happened uh, on our walk, which... A little blast from the past, things that we used to do as kids for fundraisers, Nat, remember? Oh, yeah. So, do you guys remember those world's finest chocolates?
2: Yeah, I remember them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Those chocolates, they might be a dollar, but they are better than what you can get at a grocery store or a liquor store. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, they are pretty good, actually, for what they are, for fundraising chocolates, yeah.
1: Yeah, and i seen a meme based upon these chocolates It's hard to remember how it was said when your interview, they ask you if you have any sales experience.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And you whip out a box of those world's finest chocolates and you're like, hell yeah, I do.
1: Hell yeah. Yeah. This is the this is where your sales experience shine right there.
2: Yeah, exactly. I it's like I sure sold this whole box to my dad.
1: Yeah. Yes, I made a few bucks there with this. I didn't even have to make the effort.
2: I just stood there and looked cute, and people yeah. gave me money, right?
1: <laughs> Pretty much. So, and that's something that I used to remember when we used to do that for sports we used to do that for any type of fundraiser
2: like a school event i did it for like uh, my school's Mm jogathon i remember doing that do you guys remember jogathons
1: i do not remember you don't like actually we had something a little different pretty much it was like either what was it washing cars or hitting a ball like for sports that's usually it
2: Okay no yeah my my elementary school would do jogathons where essentially they would make all the kids run like in circles like and we ran for like maybe an hour like they'd have us run and the whichever student that could run the most laps um won something at the end
1: you know, or I thought it was a torture where it's like the more chocolates you buy, the more laps you run. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, well, kind of like that because for every chocolate bar we sold, we were supposed to run a lap. So if I sold 50 chocolate bars, I'd have to run 50 laps or something like that. <laughs>
1: Wow, no wonder you say, running tortures my soul.
2: It does, I hate running. (laughs) Yeah,
1: talking about torturing souls. So to our segments, of course it's the Halloween season, so pushing more horror, terror, Halloween type of entertainment to you guys that came out during our childhood days.
2: Yeah, most of the episodes that I've chosen for our first segment are Halloween or costume episodes. So are you ready to get into them?
1: No. Of course I am.
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, let's jump into it. I want to start off with Full House.
1: Full House. Yeah. Okay.
2: Let's do it. So, Full House had about 10 or so Halloween-slash-costume episodes through their eight seasons. And some of the most notable are the ones that I've chosen that I like the best are Season 3, Episode 8, entitled Divorce Court. In this episode, Stephanie and DJ are fed up with being roommates, and the house holds a quote-unquote court-style hearing where DJ makes a case to have her own bedroom. Spoiler alert, she loses the case, okay? Mm -hmm. At the end of the episode, the three men, Danny, Joey, and Jesse, have a race to determine who is the most athletic. The winner gets to pick the loser's Halloween costume. In this episode, Danny wins, and Jesse and Joey have to dress up as Shirley Temple. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you've seen these images, I'll put it up on Instagram. They're dressed up with pink polka dot dresses and curly blonde wigs. So not so much a Halloween episode, but they dressed up. It's funny. A Full House does a really good job of being like a wholesome family show. Mm -hmm. So not many of the episodes are very spooky. And most of them had like this cute little dressing up entertainment segment. Mm -hmm. But it didn't involve the whole episode. Another episode, though, um, is entitled Not My Job. This was season two, episode three. Everyone in the family here dresses up for a Halloween costume party. DJ is Queen Cleopatra. Hmm. Stephanie is the white rabbit and Michelle is a jack-o'-lantern the guys are the three stooges so Jesse is Moe Danny is Larry and Joey is Curly <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't remember some of the notable quotes in this episode are um DJ walks in right and she's like make way for Cleopatra guys the queen of the Nile and Stephanie is like, "Why did you pick that outfit?" Because like you know, and dj's like, "Well, because Dad wouldn't let me be Elvira." <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs>
2: Can you imagine that? I thought you might appreciate that quote because it made me think of you.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> After that, the the guys walk in as the Three Stooges, and they're so cute because they stick out their heads like through the kitchen door, like kind of oh, stacked on top yes. of each other. They come in, "Hello, hello, hello." hello (laughs) and they're like certain that they're gonna win the halloween costume but dj is like forget it guys (laughs) we're dead meat because michelle walks in and she's a cute little jack-o'-lantern oh the cuteness factor of michelle was just you know it was too much to bear (laughs) they used her a lot for all these cute little segments yeah so only the the first three minutes of this episode have to do with halloween the rest of the storyline include uh, jesse selling his first jingle with his band and deciding to live the family business um the exterminator job that he has with his dad and in this episode Stephanie gets her first cavity and she's scared to go to the dentist a fun trivia fact in this is that this is the first time we see Uncle Jesse selling a jingle Mm -hmm. and like in the later seasons we see that he's like a freelance jingle writer and he does that for a living so in this episode we see that coming in his musical talents (laughs) yeah it was really cute
1: Wow. Yeah, I watched a little bit of Full House, but not as much compared to, like, my parents. Because when I was a kid, of course, I was just more focused on cartoons. And some of the reality TV shows that were on, like, Nickelodeon, that was pretty much it. Maybe, But the thing was, I did watch other type of sitcoms or adult humor. And unfortunately, it was above my ratings. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, you probably shouldn't have been watching it.
1: Yeah, but hey my parents were a little bit more open but the thing is it it still confuses me to this day it's like oh you can let me watch this but you couldn't let me watch this or let me watch that yeah, huh? yeah it's
2: like where where's the line draw the line somewhere yeah mm-hmm. yeah i watched a lot of full house when i was younger um i think because my parents um saw that it was a wholesome show like i said my parents were a little bit more strict mm-hmm. i was definitely a more disney's 90 kid growing up but this show started before we were born so um we were probably too young when it first came out to so even really care so much. I definitely saw it when I was a little older. It wasn't like Saturday morning cartoons for me. This was like evening with my bowl of cereal oh, trying yes. to get to bed, you know?
1: Yeah. That's the thing about some of those sitcoms, the really good ones, they would always show it in the evening. Well, they would show it sometimes in the afternoon. But they would always do this thing where they would re-show it again in the evening before bed.
2: Yeah, prime time, right?
1: Yeah, because like a sitcom that I'm used to watching in the afternoon was always Seinfeld.
2: Oh yeah, that was f- so popular.
1: Seinfeld was always popular. That will be a big topic later on.
2: Oh yeah, But, but we'll you know, come back to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll but, come back to that. But you know, Phil, you know what show didn't have a good prime time spot?
1: That was good or that was bad?
2: That was actually good. What is it? Freaks and Geeks.
1: Oh, that's Franco and Seth's beginning in a way.
2: Yeah, that's actually the next topic I chose. Would you like to jump into that?
1: All right, let's jump into that.
2: So, like you said, this show basically birthed Seth Rogen, Jason Siegel, Martin Starr, Linda Carlinelli, and Jason DeFranco. These are just a few of the most notable actors from the show. The show aired from 1999 to the year 2000, so it only ran for one year, literally just one season. But although its run was so short-lived, it made a big impact. The series received uh, three Emmy Award nominations. The creator, Paul Feig, was nominated twice for Outstanding Writing for a comedy series. This was for the pilot and the episode called Discos and Dragons. (laughs) Um, It won Outstanding Casting for a comedy series. It was nominated for two Television Critic Association Awards. excuse me that's a tongue twister it was nominated for two television critic associations awards for like new program of the year and outstanding achievement in Mm -hmm. drama it ranked top 25 in 2003 for tv guide number 13 in entertainment weekly's greatest Cult tv shows ever that was in 2009 Mm -hmm. so like i said this run was so short-lived but it ended up being a cult classic it's super popular
1: Mm -hmm. yeah because you think about it this was pretty much the beginning For those comedians that are really big these days, right? They started somewhere. They might have started something that was like, eh, it was average, but then look what happened to their careers. Look at James Franco. Look at Seth Rogen. Look at Jason Siegel they are pretty much one of the biggest comedians to make us laugh in this generation
2: yeah definitely i know them as like big actors in some of the shows that i've watched now things that are still popular things that are still running Mm -hmm. and they continue to pull out movies um absolutely they they got their start on this show yeah. And regard, like like I said, it didn't have a good slot time. I think it played like in the middle of the day, on uh, a weekday, so it wasn't bringing in viewers. Yeah,
1: because you put in a spot where not many people are going to be home, either working or at school. Yeah, I guess that screws you over. <laughs>
2: yeah, it definitely did. Uh, but the show in its short season did have a Halloween episode. Oh, it did? Yeah, it was entitled Trick and Treats. It was the third episode of this one season. <laughs> In this episode, we have Sam and his friends. Um, they dress up to go trick or treating. Sam um, dresses up as Gore. He's the robot from the day the Earth stood still. Neil is Char- is Charlie Chaplin. Hmm. Bill is Jamie Summers, the Bionic Woman. And there's a scene no, in the bionic ep- woman. yeah the bionic-
1: <laughs> yeah, I know who that is, the Bionic Woman.
2: It's so funny because there's a scene actually in the the show where he's like getting dressed for Halloween and he's actually wearing a real bra. <laughs> I think it's he goes into his mom's closet and he's like pulling out all her clothes. He's wearing a real bra and it, um, and he's like looks in the mirror and he p- pretends to be Jamie Summers and like doing voices and stuff. It's really cute to watch. <laughs> um, so the, these guys, they they go out trick or treating, but the thing is, they're like in ninth grade now. They're freshmen in high school, and the friends are humiliated by everyone because like you know they're too old now to be out trick or treating. They get beat up by bullies and get their candy stolen, and they even get egged on.
1: Wow, that sounds like a typical Halloween thing, egging. You know, I did that one time.
2: No, you did?
1: Yeah, and it was with my neighbors and with my sister.
2: (laughs) Oh, no, you're going to out yourself right now. No one called the cops.
1: (laughs) Nobody called the cops? (laughs) This was years ago. This was uh, many moons ago. (laughs) Many moons. We were just children. We weren't even, well, I was in junior high. My sister was already in high school.
2: Oh. Oh, yeah, we're just going to fly past that. I didn't hear it. Yeah, you didn't hear it. Okay. Right. Yeah, so so those are technically the the so-called geeks of the show, right, Sam and his friends. The freaks of the show is um, Sam's older sister, Lindsay. And in this episode, she wants to go out uh, for Halloween to do, like, teenagery-type things, Um, although she had promised her mom that she'd hand out cookies with her um, for the trick-or-treaters. She does go out with her friends, but she does destructive teenagery things. They do things like they bat down mailboxes. Oh. they go out smashing pumpkins and she's the one that eggs her little brother sam and his friends it's total it's accidental but she realizes who she egged it was her brother and this is where Lindsay draws the line she feels terrible and she tells her friends hey take me home i'm done
1: mm. when
2: they get home sam does not rat out his sister wow yeah he's a good little brother and he doesn't get her in trouble Hmm. Um, a cute moment in the show that I like is um, in the middle when the family's eating dinner right before Halloween and the mom who's, um, her name is Mrs. Baker, I think, um, they're eating mashed potatoes and the mom is so into Halloween that she starts singing Monster Mash <laughs> as she's eating the potatoes, but she does it with like a weird list. So she's like, yeah, it was the mash. it was the monster mash and she's hmm. eating mashed potatoes. Super hmm. cute. Um, a fun fact about this episode is the show is based in Michigan, but it was filmed in California
1: oh yeah well that's that's like i said that's hollywood for you that's hollywood for you yeah all i can say is that when they base their settings somewhere in the United States or somewhere else, but yet they film it here in L.A. or any studio that's close by.
2: Right, and it kind of messed up the show a little bit because they're supposed to be in Michigan during the fall season, but it's like sunny Santa Barbara. So you see green trees and sunny skies while they're out. Oh, yes. trees <laughs> It yeah. doesn't really make sense. That's a little goof on that episode.
1: Wow. Yeah. That is, Yeah, it's funny when you bring that up. I don't know if uh, certain people would notice that. I know people that understand the seasons would catch that, but people that are just seeing what's going on, listening to the stories, they don't really focus on the the scenery.
2: Yeah, they, they wouldn't catch up on it. Um, I have some more fun facts about the show. Would you like to hear them?
1: Mm, Maybe. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Okay, yeah. So the pilot was filmed in an actual school. And after the show was picked up, the school sets were built to match the original school. Almost exactly. Mm. Um, during the opening credits you can see that James Frankel and Jason Segel are like rubbing their eyes like really like a lot because they're trying to give themselves the stoner look they're trying to make their eyes look red Oh yeah. you can also see um, a scene where Seth Rogen is smiling before he's going to take his class picture and then as soon as the photographer is going to take the picture he like changes his face to be grumpy (laughs) and this used to be a thing like back in the 80s the show came out in the 90s but the show itself is based in the 80s so these teenagers are supposed to be in the 80s And apparently during that time, a lot of teenagers would sabotage their own yearbook photos. So they would like purposely make a weird face or not smile. And that was just something they did. It was just like a harmless sabotage of a yearbook photo and it made your parents mad, you know. They were um, rebelling, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's Freaks and
1: Geeks. Yep, Freaks and Geeks.
2: Well, that's it for the episode. So you have something else for me?
1: Thinking about Freaks and Geeks. Out of all of those characters... Those big comedians. Which one do you think made them more bigger?
2: Are they actually comedians? Is that their title?
1: Franco and them? Yeah. Pretty much. The majority of their movies were all funny and shows.
2: Okay. Um, The one that I think is probably the most important i mean is it james frankel i feel like we i hear would more...
1: think so because i honestly this is just an opinion but he out of the whole group of his cast and crew those guys he's done more before they started doing their own movies and things like that because think about it this way yes he did his freaks and geeks but right after what other big role did he do right away compared to all of them
2: i don't know tell me spider-man Oh, of course he did spider-man he yeah was, yes
1: yeah and then from there on then all these other guys just started coming out of nowhere and then he's been part of their movies as well like pineapple express with seth rogan
2: yeah that was definitely a bit later
1: yeah because there's always some connection in these films with him or each other yeah it's you, kind
2: of like um i'm starting to notice like kind of a clicky situation in hollywood it's kind
1: of, it's kind of like they call this um they call this too when it's a certain group of cast members and production team. I forgot what they call it. For example, Will Ferrell, Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson, um, who else, who else, There's there's a few other comedians and they call them the Rat Pack. The Rat Pack is usually a term they use when it's the same group of comedians, cast, are always in the same movies together. Right. Right. Yeah. The, some of them might not be in the movie, but they helped produce it.
2: Oh, I see. Okay. Yes.
1: So that's why you usually see majority of them together.
2: Oh. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, I, like I've noticed that it was a very clicky in Hollywood. Like you know, Adam Sandler has his group of friends. James Franco usually works with the same people. So I definitely that yeah, makes sense. Yeah.
1: Because you think about it this way. What movie were they all in together?
2: Oh, this is the end.
1: Yes. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say is and they're always together in these movies, right?
2: Yeah. Got it.
1: Yeah. Do you know
2: a uh, pack you know a group of friends that will always have the the spooky aesthetic? Who? The Scooby Doo Where Are You group.
1: Ooh, Scooby Doo, oh, where are you? Wait, like the original Scooby Doo? Yes, sir. Scooby Doo We Doo where
2: are you mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah Scooby-Doo I actually have that on my, my list do you want to jump into that oh yes,
1: yeah, Scooby okay. oh man that's old school
2: yeah so like you said this was the first and original installment of the Scooby-Doo franchise produced by Hanna-Barbera called Scooby-Doo where are you it aired on CBS for two seasons between 1969 and 1970 a third season was aired in 1978 as a quote revival season
1: oh Scooby is it okay to say something about Scooby yeah so Scooby-Doo might have been made in the six, the late 60s to the 70s, but Scooby-Doo has been alive and run remakes, reboots, and it's still alive to this day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They always made sure to make a new series of Scooby-Doo for each generation.
2: Including movies, too.
1: Yes. But it's pretty cool because... I used to watch Scooby-Doo a lot when I was little. We didn't know what he was. We we thought he was just some dog. Yeah, but we it took us a while to realize that he was just a Great Dane.
2: Yeah, it took. I think I was like a teenager when I realized that he was a Great Dane. That was never specifically said yeah, about. Yeah, they him. never
1: speci- uh, specify what breed of dog he was. Also, too, I. <laughs> this is my dad. He said this about. Um, uh, we had a boxer. He was a Brendel boxer so you know the color brindle right like scooby-doo color like brown and black yeah oh my god that dog was always hungry (laughs) he was always hungry it's like to get him to do something you had to feed him right (laughs) right so it's like biscuits we call it right the dog biscuits yeah 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 but majority of the time even after that oh my god that dog was always hungry my dad was like what is with you my god you know something i don't think scooby-doo was a great day (laughs) He looked at our dog and he was just drooling, waiting for food, and he was just like standing there all tall. Oh,
2: that's cute! Yes, <laughs> I think I might agree with that. Maybe back to this iconic cartoon, it was initially a Saturday morning cartoon during the era when parents were against violent superhero programs in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So, parents were like, Uh, we're anti superheroes, and they were like, We want our kids to watch teenagers solving mysteries instead <laughs> <laughs> originally the show was going to be called mysteries five or um who's scared just like that
1: who's scared yeah
2: that's what they were going to call it
1: they talk just like you
2: okay so the show followed a group of four friends in their cowardly great dane on adventures where they solve paranormal mysteries one of the top-rated episodes was episode 16 in the first season. It was called A Night of Fright is No Delight. <laughs> so all the episodes were spooky, right? But this one was more, mo- one of the most top-rated ones. In this episode, Connell Barregard Sanders is an eccentric millionaire who leaves his millions to four relatives and a dog named Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, like, actually had saved the Connell's life years before from drowning in a fish pond.
1: <laughs> <laughs> in a fish pond?
2: <laughs> yeah, so the Conal remembers him and wants to leave him some inheritance he leaves behind a vinyl disc that plays his last will and testament where he says that they need to stay in the mansion and that the mansion is haunted and if they survive the night they will earn their inheritance the next morning Mm -hmm. and during the episode we have two green phantoms that Mm -hmm. they terrorize the gang and the and the relatives and they attempt to make them leave spoiler mr creeps and mr crawl which are uh, the Connells' attorneys end up being the Phantoms. The millions in, in their inheritance were Confederate money. So it, <laughs> wasn't, it wasn't even real. Um, I do wonder if the attorneys knew this. That's probably a plot hole, I would say.
1: Yeah, I wonder that too. Huh? Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, like, you think if they're why they're scaring these people? If like, are they even sure what their inheritance is gonna be? It's not even real life. It wouldn't
1: have, would have been worth it if they actually succeeded. Right? <laughs> like, okay, we're gonna score this. What the heck is this? Yeah,
2: it's nothing. All that worked for nothing. Some fun trivia in this episode was that it was adapted into a comic book story called "Nights for a Fright" in uh, Gold Key issue number eight that came out in October in 1971. So I it was a comic book afterwards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so you know me I love the goofs I love to see when TV or entertainment messes up so I found a couple of goofs that I thought were fun there's this one scene when Shaggy you know he's always hungry he takes out his sandwich and there's a fish bowl beside him and it's completely empty at first like no water no fish but a few seconds later when he grabs like a box to feed the fish there's suddenly a fish in there no suddenly there's a fish in there now but and then when he goes back to his sandwich the fish is gone again Oh, my God, wow. Yeah, so major continuity errors there. And then there's another one when um, uh, Shaggy and Scooby are hanging from the outside of a drain pipe because they don't want to be inside the mansion because they're scared. Velma's arm isn't drawn. So we kind of see, like, an interior shot, and we see Daphne and Velma, but Velma's missing an arm. (laughs) They forgot to draw that in.
1: in. Yeah, you show me that. I was like, do you think her arm's behind her back? But then when you look closely, it's like, oh, no, actually... The way it's drawn, yeah, her arm's supposed to be by the hip or something.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's full on missing. Yeah. So yeah. those are just a couple of goofs I found in this episode.
1: Yeah, there's sometimes there's an episode I remember that somebody had a missing leg from under the table. <laughs> and you saw one leg and then the other one you didn't see it at all.
2: I mean I'm sure you'll find inconsistencies in all episodes everywhere, but these yeah, but they're always fun to catch. It's always like, you know, little yeah. little tricks and treats that you yeah. can find
1: for yourself. But I remember back then. Those cartoons didn't have computers or anything like that, so majority of that was all hand-drawn.
2: Yes, you're right, but like I said, we still find goofs today in every show.
1: Oh, yeah, of Mm -hmm. course. And it's fun to
2: catch them. Yeah, so that's Scooby-Doo.
1: God, like, yeah, we brought about Scooby, but shaggy. Because, yeah, I'm going to tell you this, and it has to do with, of course, marijuana. Okay. So... (laughs) Who was the original joint smoker in cartoons? Even yeah. though they didn't show anything, right? Right. And they created this meme where you see Shaggy. is like it took us like years to realize that Shaggy was none other than a marijuana pot smoking, mm-hmm. always on. Uh, what do you call it? always on the munchies? Sure. No, we, we socialized to dogs. I know, right? <laughs> He's so hot. he can
2: talk to his dog. <laughs> he can talk
1: to his dog, <laughs> and Shaggy. Oh my God. I remember I started crying real, because I was laughing. Because there was a day I, you know, <laughs> had a little something. And I started thinking about Shaggy. <laughs> I
2: remember this day.
1: <laughs> yeah, I started cracking up. And what was the line that I wanted Shaggy to say? <laughs> like, the about smoking, ease to the knees. <laughs> oh, yeah?
2: Well, what, what about that shirt that you love?
1: Oh, yeah. So, of course, that... Got me motivated to look up a shirt and I found this shirt and of course I still wear it to this day. The shirt says, someone passed Shaggy a baggy, so he can roll Scooby a doobie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a funny shirt because it's not boring. It just has him and Scooby uh, laying back with each other smoking. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then there's another shirt with Cheech and Chong and they're in the mystery van smoking.
2: Oh, okay, maybe that's the one I'm thinking about then.
1: Yeah, the one that's called uh, Best Buds.
2: Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, case in point, Phil has a lot of weed shirts. Now yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Scooby-Doo, that was one heck of a show to watch as a kid.
2: Yeah, and it was fun watching it as I was growing up, too. I saw all the the movies and the... The reboot series, this is one that I'm, I never get upset that they're making new things about because I like that Scooby lives on. I really like it.
1: Sooner or later, they're going to change the breed. <laughs> oh, but you know what I
2: did notice is that one of the newer episodes, they changed Shaggy's ethnicity. He's now African-American. Oh, really? Yeah, which is it's awesome to see. You know I'm happy that America is moving forward and being so progressive, um, and that's fine by me that they changed these characters. I don't think there's nothing wrong with it. Um, But it's also fun to have these old shows that we can still go back and watch to see the original.
1: Yeah, Yeah, nobody's going to judge if we, like, watch the old Scooby-Doo and, like, oh, I like Shaggy here, too, as well, you know? Yeah. Shaggy is Shaggy. Yeah, as always, Shaggy is still the same character, like, I'm always hungry and I talk to my dog. Yes. But not going to a haunted house. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yeah. Shaggy will always be part of the crew. So that was Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Philly Phil, it's your turn. What's next?
1: So... What is something really, really iconic to watch in October? It comes out all the time. Okay. It's one of the most iconic animated cartoon shows to, to be running to this day. Okay. The Simpsons.
2: Ah, our favorite American family.
1: Yes, our favorite yellow American family <laughs> yes. with four fingers. Right. All right. Mm-hmm. right. But we're talking about the Halloween specials. Uh, they call it the Treehouse Horse Specials. Oh, okay. But we're going to focus on a few of them. The old school ones, honestly, to me, are the funniest. So the first Treehouse of Horrors episode was, um, of course, they just call it Treehouse of Horrors number one. So Homer goes trick-or-treating. <laughs> think about it that way an old man trick-or-treating right and saying that he loves halloween yeah but then he looks in the tree house and he sees lisa bart and maggie are up there and they're telling each other ghost stories or scary stories right mm-hmm. bart tells his stories and the first story is called the bad dream house so they're making fun of the amityville whore and poltergeist put together oh so of course The Simpsons buy this mansion and Marge is like, wow, 19 bedrooms, this many, good viewing, all this. How can we afford such a thing like this? And Homer's like, motivated seller, Marge. Oh, wow. He must have been really motivated, right? (laughs) And all these supernatural things are happening. And it's funny because he tips the mover a dollar and the guy is all upset. He's like, thank God there's a curse in this house. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, Homer, acts like it's a good thing that they have this gigantic home and all these things are happening like, get out. And Marge goes, what was that? And Homer goes, house settling. (laughs) 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 And so the get out comes from Amityville Horror. Okay. Because I think I showed it to you when the priest, he's trying to bless the house and the door opens and the spirit tells him to get out. Right. Yeah. That's where they got that from. Oh, okay. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then... um and then of course all these things are happening and lisa <laughs> lisa tells everybody i feel an evil presence in this house and marge is like get your coats kids we're leaving and the, the house actually gives them their coats so they can leave and homer wants to stay uh-huh. right and marge is like we're not going to stay here just to save a few dollars and Homer's like, not just a few dollars, a few thousand dollars. And he's floating up in the air and he starts, you know, the Homer scream (laughs) and and he's on the ceiling. He's like, nice carpet ceilings. And then he just falls straight down. Typical Homer. Yeah. And of course, you know, Homer is begging his family to stay for just one night and they all stay, right? This is where the house tries to make them murder each other. So he go. he's like, the house is telling like Bart, like, they're all against you, Bart. And Bart goes like, are you my conscience? And then the house is like, uh, uh what? yes. Because the house starts thinking like, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> right. And then Lisa, the butcher knife, Lisa. And then poor Maggie's on her bed and her head is spinning in circles oh, like no. the exorcist. <laughs> and then Homer pulls out the axe. And he's like, they're all against me. But Marge is not in the bed, right? Mm-hmm. And it shows Marge getting a knife as well. Okay. But Mar. But Homer goes to the kitchen, he's like, "Oh, Marge!" And Marge is like, "I'm in the kitchen." And then behind Homer turns his head, and he just sees Bart, Lisa, and Maggie coming with shanks and knives. Mm-hmm. And Homer's just like looking, like, "What the hell? They're they're being possessed too."
2: Yeah, my favorite part is Maggie with her little knife, and she's on her uh, sucking on her binky, and she falls on her face, but she gets up still, and she keeps crawling on.
1: Yeah, but then when you think that Marge is, you know, possessed too, but really she's just making a sandwich, and then she breaks their possession by, like, what are you guys doing, right? And Mm -hmm. then they all drop their weapons, and they're all like, oh, sorry, guys, sorry, right? And then Marge is like, that's it, we're leaving the homers, like, oh, come on, right? Right. And then Lisa opens one door to the basement, like, Dad, look, it's an Indian burial ground. It's such a stereotype of an Indian burial ground. (laughs) The Simpsons, they actually went to literal on the Indian burial ground. So You see tombstones (laughs) and native american names that are well known like sitting bull pocahontas Geron- geronimo oh, crazy horse tonto but some of them had some weird names like gandhi's on there <laughs> and then not so crazy horse right and oh uh <laughs>
2: Sacagawea's in oh, no. yeah.
1: You see all these names, and least like, it's an Indian burial ground. And it's all right there. And then Homer gets mad and calls the realtor, and he's like yelling, like, you never told me this house was built over an Indian burial ground, right? And then he hangs up. He's like, he said he told me about five to six times. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Homer. Right? But then the conclusion of that little part was, of course, um, they want to make a deal with the house. Like, we got to live here together. And the house is like, can I think about this for a minute? And the house pulled the poltergeist move, which is the house destroyed itself. And Lisa's like, the house chose to destroy itself instead of us living with, in there with it. I mean, that, same. <laughs> yeah, she's like, that must mean we've been like pretty much saying that the spirit itself did not want to be with us, meaning there's something wrong with us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that was Bart's first story of that episode. The second story was Hungry or the Damned. Which is the introduction of the two aliens, Kang and Kodos. Oh, okay. So you know Kang and Kodos, the two aliens, big ol' eyeballs, big heads. Yeah, right, right. Right? So they're having a barbecue in the backyard, and Homer spraying so much lighter fluid in the grill, and then when he lights the match, it throws it in there. <laughs> it explodes. <laughs> it explodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why he did that, I don't know.
2: Because he's Homer.
1: Yeah. And of course, the UFO, uh, he, what do you call it, abducts them. Okay. And when it comes to Homer, Homer's so heavy that they can't pick him up. So it takes multiple lights. It takes multiple lights to pick him up. And next thing you know, the aliens are feeding them. Lisa's just like, why are they feeding us all of a sudden? And then she goes in the kitchen and finds out that the book says how to cook humans. She's like, they're trying to eat us. They're fattening us so they can eat us. <laughs> and she showed them the book, and they're all like, oh, my God. Right? And the alien's like, like, Earthlings, like, you yeah, have stop eating. And then, like, you guys are trying to eat us. It's like, oh, that's just space dust. And he blew on it, and it says how to, uh, how to feed humans or whatever. <laughs> and then Lisa's like, wait a minute. <laughs> aha, it says how to cook 40 humans, things like that. It was just like... (laughs) the
2: title just keeps expanding. Yeah,
1: he's like, oh, wait, there's more space dust on it, you know? And, of course, it said that they were just cooking for humans. Mm -hmm. And they're like, wait a minute, they thought that we were going to eat them. And then they started getting mad, and they kicked them off their ship. And they told, they were pretty much bad-mouthing Lisa for opening her mouth. Like, I mean, way to go, Lisa. And then, I, I mean,
2: and, that was pretty rude.
1: Yeah, and then Homer was like, yeah. And they're like, like, what, what kind of father does that to his own daughter, right? <laughs> like, yeah, Lisa.
2: You messed it up and, for all of us. Now no one's getting space food.
1: Of course, the last story is not Bart. Now it's Lisa. But Lisa goes by the Edgar Allan Poe
2: oh of course because she's so intelligent she, right?
1: and she goes with the raven okay. so of course we know the raven we don't have to go too detailed with the raven if you know the raven right but it's just homer plays the guy and he hears noises and he opens the door and then a raven flies in and instead of the raven saying "Nevermore," more and the raven says eat my shorts <laughs> and it was just bart, <laughs> bart just interrupted the yeah, story bites the
2: raven yeah yeah
1: and lisa's like bar i'm telling the story he says, the raven says, never more. And Homer gets mad at the raven. And of course, he pulls the Homer thing. Why, you little? <laughs> he tries to strangle the raven. Mm-hmm. The nevermore, of course, the upsets, uh, not upsets, but scares the main character, right? And then, of course, the end of it, that was it. And then Bart's like, that was the most boring story I ever heard. Well, I'm going to sleep good tonight, right? Mm-hmm. So they all are leaving the treehouse and Homer got scared off the raven. <laughs> of course. And then... When he's in bed, and Marge is, like, telling Homer, like, don't worry about it. These are just children's stories. And then the lights turn off, and he looks at the window, and the raven's out there, and you hear Bart's laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, I hate Halloween. And, like, in the beginning, he said he loved Halloween.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I was going to tell you this about the Treehouse of Horror episode. Yeah, what about it? We actually watched it in high school for a learning purpose. Oh, you did? Yes. Because... We were learning about poems, and we were focused on Edgar Allan Poe. And my teacher was a Simpsons fanatic, so even her webpage was Simpsonized. And she said, okay guys, this is my entertainment for you guys, because we're doing Edgar Allan Poe. So she clicked, and she made us watch the whole entire episode.
2: Oh, that's fun yeah
1: it was funny though because we all laughed at the other ones but the raven of course you know like oh we have to learn this one right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah so that's the first treehouse of horror episode
0: okay now
1: the second one this is episode number two okay so this the this one of course homer's sitting down eating candy watching tv and there's a little spoof in the beginning so obviously in the beginning of the Treehouse of Horrors, you go through the cemetery, and the cemetery has all these tombstones with weird names and actually famous people's names. You see one with Bambi's mom. Oh, no. Bambi's mom. And then you see Walt Disney's name. Oh, wow, well, yeah. Yeah, things like that. Elvis Presley. Famous people are famous things that you would know that have died in real life or in movies or shows. Right. And, the they, and they have their names on the tombstone.
2: The Simpsons show was really good at portraying those little things like yeah. that in these shows. They always put something in, like yeah. a little Easter egg, right?
1: Yeah. But in the beginning of the episode, when it's zooming in the Simpson house, uh, you see the Peanuts gang running. Oh. You know the Peanuts gang, right? Yeah,
2: of course.
1: Yeah, they're running in front of the Simpsons house. Oh, how cute. Yes. But Homer's eating candy. And then the door knocks, and they're like, trick or treat. And it's teenagers, and it's Jimbo, right? And they're like, trick-or-tree's like, hey, aren't you guys a little bit old, too old? And you guys are not even dressed up. And like, give us your candy, or we're going to egg your house, right? And the <laughs> homer's like, here you go. And he closes the door, rotten little, and they egg his house anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Those little butts. Yeah, but of course, the kids come back, and they have all kinds of candy, and March tells tells the, the kids, like, you guys can have one candy, and all of them just start pigging out. And she says, the more candy you eat, the more night- you're going to get nightmares, right? And that's where the story comes, right? So Lisa's Lisa's nightmare is first, which is her dream is the monkey paw story. Okay. And we mentioned the monkey paw in a previous episode about if you make a wish, bad things will happen, right? Right. So they're in Morocco, and Homer goes to the stand of the monkey paw, and the guys can, can pretty much telling him like don't buy the monkey paw it might grant your wish but it's gonna go haywired and homer's like, I don't care paw me right and marge like where'd you get that thing he's like oh it was right over there and it disappears he's like, huh? oh my god oh wait no it's over there and the camera pans and he's just right there right <laughs> just
2: pointed in the wrong direction <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah and of course you know they're looking at the monkey paw and they're like deciding who should make the first wish and of course maggie makes a wish And it's a big old limousine outside, and Homer was like, oh, Maggie, sweet Maggie. And Maggie only wished for a pacifier. (laughs) And then the limo took off, and he got mad. But uh, each of their wishes, of course, were good, but uh, they backfired. Bart wanted family to be rich, but people just got tired of them. And then Lisa wished for world peace it's something that was really good and positive and it just like completely backfired as the aliens said oh the earthlings have showed weakness already you know Mm -hmm. because they threw away all their weapons and everything right
2: right so now we're vulnerable to (laughs) it and and and
1: now they became slave everybody became slaves right and homer was like oh i'll make a wish that i'll end all this and he wished for a sandwich right oh geez and because the turkey was dry he threw the hand away and flanders was like oh it was one of those monkey part paw things and Homer's like, well, I don't think you want this. And, but he doesn't like Netflix. He's like, oh yeah. Here, you want to try it out? And then when Ned gets it and the hand opens up, right, to uh, reboot the wishes, right? Sure. And then he sees the alien chasing Mo. And he's like, Oh, I wish there was something to get rid of those nasty aliens. And next thing you know, the wish comes, and then you see the aliens like, Oh, he's got a board with a nail on it. And Mo's chasing him with a board and nail. Oh,
2: and really, that's all it took? And
1: that's all it took. That's what I thought was funny. He started chasing him, and all the aliens like, Oh, and they all ran to the spaceship and they, were, they go away. Oh, pretty much Mo saved the. Saved well, me.
2: no, Ned's Ladder <laughs> saved Well, he
1: saved <laughs> it, but pretty much Mo pretty much did the work because he chased <laughs> him with a board with a nail in it. Got it. Yeah. And then they're all like, way to go, Ned. But be- So I understand that the monkey paw, I don't know if this is true in the story, the short story, but or film, whatever the original monkey paw story was, is that if you have such a good heart or good soul, that the wishes don't backfire on you.
2: That's why Ned Flanders is my favorite Simpsons character. Yeah. He's also incredibly ripped.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was a thing, uh, how Ned Flanders was you know, his wishes didn't backfire because I think he was just such a good guy yeah. and Homer was mad. He's like, oh, I gotta straighten up the new household or whatever, and it turns into a castle and Homer's like, I wish I had a monkey paw, right? Mm-hmm. So that was Lisa's dream. And then Bart's dream was him uh, having telekinesis powers. Okay. And he made everybody like him or of course be happy, and if you weren't, he would curse you in a way okay and he, like he turned homer into a uh, jack in the box oh right you know it, it wasn't that really entertaining as a spot i think the only thing that was entertaining was he turned the cat into like a weird daffy duck character
2: oh i was gonna say that bart's uh, nightmare doesn't really sound like a nightmare
1: but i think what made bart scared of it was because he loved homer <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. right and then homer's dream of course this is the one that i thought was funny right and they based this one off frankenstein okay right telekinesis we all know where telekinesis with bart is from right all the um, stephen king movies right. and stuff like that right okay but homer's is based on frankenstein and i felt bad for him because smithers wanted mr burns to do a random firing on somebody mr burns was like okay nah and he sees homer sleeping ah that guy and they fired him. He's like, Homer Simpson, you're fired. Fired. Why? For sleeping on the job. How do you know? We can see you through the cameras. like, camera, where is it? And he looks and he sees the camera. Oh, dope. No. <laughs> right? Dope. No. And then he gets a job as a grave digger. And then he falls asleep in there. And of course, Mr. Burns wants to be like Frankenstein to change the workers from not being lazy and put their brains into robots. Okay. Right? So they go to a grave and they see an open grave and they see Homer taking a nap in there. And Smithers is the only one that's smart. He's like, um, Mercer Burns, that's Homer Simpson. And he's like, well, let's just take the body unless I can find another subject. And he was looking at Smithers and Smithers goes like, Mr. Simpson will do fine. (laughs) Right? Right. And then they bagged up Homer and you can hear, ooh, 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 right? And Smithers is like, hey, Mr. Burns, the body is making a lot of noises you know yeah, he's still alive yeah, he's still alive and then mr burns gets the shovel and starts whacking the bag and beating up homer mm-hmm. when, when they take him to like you know the laboratory and they soft his head and when his head falls off it sounds like a bowl you know how when you drop a bowl on the floor it goes dun, 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 right? <laughs> and then they pull out his brain and they put it into the robot and when the brain, when the robot moves, he's like it's alive, it's alive, right? Right. And then, when the robot's awake, he looks through the wall and he sees donuts, and then the pretty much saying, mmm, donuts." In robot, you know, in a robot voice, and he goes over, and Mr. Burns is all upset, he's like, "Why is this happening?" Right. <laughs> Mr. Burns is crying, he's like, "What well, is this catastrophe?" How can I create something so, so like he goes and he points his finger saying like so like what I forgot what the term was and then the camera pans and Smithers looks and you see the robot take like taking a nap on the chair. <laughs> oh
2: jeez, I know. It's he's like, still lazy.
1: He's still lazy, so the it didn't work. So Smithers is like, maybe we should put the brain back into the body. And Mr. Burns is like, oh, just flush the brain down the toilet or something, oh, right? No, right? And Smithers does like a guilty trip, and uh, Mr. Burns is like, ah, fine. Mm-hmm. And then when he's sewing the head back onto Homer, and Homer's like, ow, 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 you know, <laughs> <laughs> and <he's, laughs> Mr. Burns is like, will you be quiet? Smithers is like, hey, he's alive, sir. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess he is, right? <laughs> yeah. Because they weren't expecting that to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, he kicks the robot, and the robot falls on himself, and Smithers is like, Mr. Burns, what happened? he's like, Smithers, I'm going to die. And he's telling him, go to the drawer to do this and do that, right? And then Homer wakes up, right? And Marge is like, bad dream? No, barb, kick me or something like that, right? And then Homer goes to the bathroom and then his dream wind up coming true as Mr. Burns' head is sewn onto his arm. Oh, well, what? on his neck, right? Oh, okay. You know, so his dream came true in a way. Yeah, you know, like it real, actually happened. It actually happened, right?
2: Oh, geez, how yeah. terrible would yeah. that be?
1: <laughs> that was a good, uh, so that one's number two, right? I feel like that's a pretty much good amount of Simpsons right there. Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, like you said, there's so many out there. There's
1: so many out there. So many good ones. Um, Ah, man. I know there's another good one that I can think of. Okay, there is one, but I'm only going to say one part of it. Okay. Right? Because there's always, like, so many different episodes, and they're all so good. Good writing, good animation, right? Got it. Right? So this one episode, well, this one one little, um, how do you say this? One little, yeah, little episode from the show is based on The Shining.
0: Okay. But
1: in the, the Simpsons, they call it The Shinning. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: And Willie calls it copyright issues. <laughs> okay, yeah. Right? So Homer and the family are driving up the mountains to go to be caretakers to Mr. Burns' Lodge. And Marge tells Homer, did you lock the front door? No. And then it says like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So like, oh, when you locked the door, did you lock the back door? No! And they <laughs> go back, and it's like Wednesday, right? Yeah. And then Grandpa's not in the car. And Lisa, like, oh no, we left Grandpa at the gas station. And Homer didn't want to go back because he got tired of going back. He's like, ah. Uh guys, we left Grandpa at the gas station, right. right? And, of course, they're at the lodge, and Mr. Birds is telling all these scary things about this lodge. So it's like, dude, you're making it obvious that there's something wrong with this place. Like, it's built over ancient Indian burial ground where all this stuff, satanic rituals and all this stuff, like all these horrible things, right? Oh, gee, yeah. And they're just like, oh, my God, they just made it so obvious, of course, because it's a parody of The Shining the elevator opens and blood comes out and Mr. Burns is like, hmm, that's strange. The blood's supposed to come down on this other floor, right? <laughs> and like, so he already knew about it, right? right? And then Willie's um, handling the lawn out there, the maze, right? Mm-hmm. And Bart like drills holes through the whole entire maze and Willie got mad and he's trying to talk to himself and his thoughts, right? And Bart can hear him and he's like, oh, you got the shinning. And Bart goes, Shining. Hey, don't say that. Copyright issues. Copyright issues. He's like, if your father goes, like, use that machining, and Willie will come over here, right, and save you, right? (laughs) Right. Right? So they're like, okay, like, you know, they set them all up, but then what they do is they take all the beer and they cut the cable because Mr. Burns told Smithers and Dewey, he's like, sir, I need to ask you this. Why do we do this? You know, do you think this is the reason why the previous caretakers go crazy and kill their families, He's like, oh, I never thought about it that way. But I'll tell you what, if it does happen again, I'll give you a dollar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's or, not even gonna fix the issue. Yeah. And Homer's like trying to watch TV. He's like, oh, cable's out. And then goes to the fridge and he's like, oh, there's no beer. And Marge is like, wow, you're taking this very well. He's like, I know, I am, and I'm, like, I'm gonna kill you, Homer. <gasps> oh, I'm just kidding. You know? <laughs> all right. And then he goes through the door and he's like. I'm going to, like, try to murder them or whatever. And then he goes to the bar. It's like, oh, what would I do for just a beer? And, of course, Mo's there. He's like, oh, hey, Mo. He's like, hi, Homer. If you want a beer, kill your family, right? Oh, jeez. And, of course, Marge is looking for Homer, and there's, like, the Shining, the typewriter. And it says, I'm feeling fine, right? And then the walls all say, like, something about no beer, no TV, make Homer go crazy or something like that. And Homer looks all crazy, and she's like, you know, Homer go, I just need a title, like go crazy, don't mind if I do, like he does all these things, and uh, so Marge sees Homer getting crazy, right, and then she looks to the side, and it's, it says like in case of an emergency, like a crazy goes wacko or whatever, she breaks in, it's a bat in there, and Homer's like, give me the bat, Marge the back, give me the back, right? Yeah. And he does all these crazy faces, and then there's a mirror next to him. He looks at it, and he scares himself when he falls down the stairs. <laughs> March didn't even have to make the effort to knock him out. Yeah, right? he's just
2: self-sabotaging and him. And then
1: she locks him in the pantry, and she's like, ooh, chili, that'd be good for dinner, right? <laughs> and then Homer just wants to stay in there because there's all kinds of food in there, and it's like, Homer, me and the other ghouls and demons, we're seeing you're not making any progress. And then Homer's like, quiet eating and then like and then the door opens and you see dracula frankenstein all these iconic (laughs) characters horror characters just grab them like and they (laughs) take them out right and then (laughs) so homer's breaking down the with the axe knocking down the door and he goes here's johnny and the camera pans back or zooms back he just goes into the wrong room (laughs) <laughs> he doesn't remember which room they were at so he has and, to try again <laughs> yeah so he the in fact it's empty and he goes no, and then he does it again and then grandpa's at the door he's like hi i'm grandpa No, and then he does it the third time and i forgot what he says and he has like a time watch with him and then the kids and all of them get scared and they run out right and then bart uses his mind to contact willie and willie's like the little fat kid's in trouble, right? And um, he runs out there, but he had his TV in his hand, and he drops in the snow. And he's trying to, he well, he tries to act up like he can beat up Homer, and then Homer gets him in the back uh, with the axe. And then they're all running in the snow, and Homer's chasing him, right? And then Lisa falls, and she sees the TV, and she's like, Dad, look, <gasps> TV, TV. And he drops the axe, and he's like, urge to kill, declining, declining. Decl- like you know declining rising or, or not to claim, fading fading right and he's like <laughs> i just thought that rising fading and he's all in peace now And he's like come family let's watch like you know tv together and next thing you know they sit there for a while and they freeze right yeah just like <laughs> the shining right right and they the channel needs to be changed because there's something annoying on tv right and then homer goes urge to kill rising
2: hi homer so cute, so funny
1: yeah but i say that's it for the simpsons right yeah, those
2: were great choices those were
1: great choices those ones would always make me laugh for the halloween special
2: yeah i agree those were great choices yeah. those were fun to watch i remember watching them with you they make me laugh always always yeah, make me laugh
1: homer. yeah so and i like how they u- they used references from iconic horror movies the writers matt groaning and oh, right. for, for them to allow him to use their movies to make fun of them, but in a fun way.
2: Yeah, of course. They, Simpsons, the Simpsons show always did a great job of doing those things.
1: Yeah, that's The Simpsons. That's my pick for their funniest Halloween specials. You said you had special music video or song.
2: Yeah, that's right, Philly. So in the last episode, I mentioned the Backstreet Boys song, Everybody, and how it used the same background as casper you know the mansion with the swirly dance floor well i thought i'd find out more about this iconic music video and here are some fun facts that i learned Mm
0: -hmm.
2: the video aired in june of 1997. so that means that this song is 25 years old
0: oh my god
2: i know you feel old now don't you yeah (laughs) yeah it was written and produced by max martin and denise pop it's one of the most successful singles to date reaching number four in the u.s billboards hot 100 and running for 22 weeks and number three in the UK singles chart so like mm-hmm. this song went worldwide uh-huh. and some fun facts are the group wanted Antonio Fargas to be uh, portray the bus driver in their music video because they were fans of uh, Starchi and Hutch
1: oh no I know who he is
2: Yeah, so in the beginning you see that their tour bus breaks yes. down so they have to stay at
1: this mansion I, I know who know I know who the driver is yeah um, I'm gonna get you sucker um, Ah, what's his name? You Uh, got it.
2: You can get it. Come on.
1: Oh my God. Wait, wait, Huggy Bear.
2: Yes, that's right. He plays Huggy Bear in Starchy and Hutch.
1: But, and I'm going to get you Saka, He's Fly Guy.
2: Yeah, that's him. So (laughs) shooting the video took approximately 36 hours and and it had a budget of $1 million. Can you believe it? Wow. Yeah, but Drive Records did not like the idea. They were like, no, we're not going to pay that money. So the band ultimately had to put up their own money to shoot the video. Yeah, it's unclear whether or not they got refunded because, you know, of how well it did afterwards, but yeah, the well,
1: yeah, well it comes same thing with the entertainment well, it is entertainment, but in the film industry if you put your money into a project and if it does successfully, you get portions of uh, royalty portions of how much money you put into it and you get that plus a percentage on top of that. So I think they pretty much made some buck on top of that music video
2: yeah i mean like i said it was very popular so in the music video each backstreet boy is dressed up as a monster character and they got to choose what monster they wanted to be and i know phil you don't know who the backstreet boys are like individually but i'm gonna say their names and what the monsters they chose okay so i know you're uninterested but just bear with me (laughs) so howie is dracula kevin is dr jekyll and mr hyde (laughs) brian is the Wolfman. AJ is the Phantom of the Opera, and Nick is a mummy. <laughs> <laughs> the video was directed by Joseph Kahn, and the choreography was inspired by, of course, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Mm. The music video, again, is so popular that it won various awards and nominations. It won the Best Group Video um, in the MTV Music Video Awards in 1998. Mm-hmm. Favorite Song in Nickelodeon's Kids' Choice Award in 1999. Mm -hmm. It won the People's Choice Favorite International Group. Uh, This was in the Munch Music Video Award. This was in 1998. Mm -hmm. It was nominated for a Grammy in 1999. And in 2014, it won MTV's Movie Award for Best Musical Moment. And in its scene that we just watched, that we were just talking about, this is the end. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh
2: yeah so it won an award for the last few minutes of that movie where they had um a backstreet boys reunion in heaven
1: uh. yeah
2: so that is the backstreet boys and i want to thank you for letting me talk about it because it was so much fun to research Yeah, i
1: started thinking about that because it like you said last week was it was in casper yeah and i was like hey they used the same uh pretty much the house setting
2: yeah, it was the same. It was the same mansion, essentially. Yeah,
1: is it was it in a lot in one of the studios or something?
2: No, actually, the mansion is a real live house. It's called the Whipstaff Manor. It's located in Maine, and it's a real house that essentially uh, entertainment industries can rent out for movies and music videos. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's it's a real place. I'm not sure if people actually live in it right now, but you know, it's been used a couple times in, yeah. in various things.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about like horror movies or things used in um certain houses or whatever right and people are like oh wait did they film that there and people get scared of it even though it's just a movie or just a music video or whatever right right i forgot to mention this last week about poltergeist uh, i had a coworker who lived in that neighborhood where and, and they were around when they were filming poltergeist they said i remember seeing all these studio set lights and stuff like that right
2: oh they like they lived on the same block as yes. the poltergeist house oh got it yes
1: mm-hmm. so when they saw the movie they were like i don't want to go to that house anymore no, right. nobody wanted to go near that house dang because even though the family you know rented their house for them to film poltergeist when the movie was made and when everybody in the block saw it they were like i'm not going there you know, I'm not going to go there. It's probably haunted or something.
2: Well, I kind of agree with them because like we said in our last uh, podcast episode, that sometimes when you film movies, the sets or the, the the cast, they become cursed. Yeah. So, I mean, if the movie held any real negative energy, it might have stayed in the location. So I yeah. get it. I, I understand why they wouldn't want to go near it after
1: yeah. afterwards. But talking about movies, this is our next and last segment.
2: Oh, yes. Okay. The movies
1: so we're gonna go a little dark on these guys not like spiritual dark but let's go a little bit on the sci-fi horror all right hit me yeah so we of course mentioned alien last time so let's talk about another alien horror movie this was a cult classic right here really good one of my favorite alien movies the thing and so the background for me in this movie was that my mom showed me this movie when I was so young. I was not ready for scary movies. And she said it was a germ movie. Oh, geez. Oh, so when I watched it, I could not sleep.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I had
1: to sleep in the same bed with my parents. Oh,
2: me, Ma. How could you? Yes,
1: I was not not even 10 yet. I was pretty much maybe 7 or 8 when I saw this movie. Because the movie was so scary and grotesque at the same time.
2: Yeah, that's why I didn't like it. Yeah. This movie is really hard for me to watch. I want to make a quick disclaimer that I absolutely hated watching these movies. <laughs> and I do not enjoy scary movies. They're not my go-to. i, I much rather watch romantic comedies, but mm-hmm. they are fascinating. Yep. And yep. I have watched them with Philly.
1: Okay. So... Let's go over the thing besides the romantic comedies because this is not a romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So anyways, the thing is an alien horror made in 1982 by one of the masters of horrors, John Carpenter. And John Carpenter, he's well known of creating Michael Myers. Okay. Yeah, so, so the film was based on a book written in 1938 called Who Goes There by John W. Campbell. So both the film and the novel had the same synopsis, which is researchers in Antarctica are trapped with an alien species that imitates people, meaning they have to somehow figure out who is who because the, the alien imitates people perfectly to the point where it's like...
2: You don't even know who's you who. You don't even
1: know who is who, but when your back is turned, it can either kill you or turn you into one of them. Oh, geez. Yes. So this film stars... Notable actors. So we all know Kurt Russell. Uh, what's that one uh, superhero movie that he did? Uh, Sky High. Oh, okay,
2: yes.
1: Yes. And Keith David. If you guys don't know who Keith David is, he's a well-known African-American actor. This is, actually was his his break here. And this movie had no female roles. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting, right?
2: Yeah, but, I mean, I hadn't thought of that, but you're yeah, right. I don't, there's no female there's in this no movie. There's no
1: females in that movie, right? Mm-hmm. There was another film based on the book in the 1950s. It was called The Thing from Another World. But this movie had no imitations, and this alien was called The Thing. Okay. The 1982 version was better to me, of course. They both had the same intro of the film title as well. So in the beginning of the movie, how the thing uh, title appears is the same. Except one's in black and white, and this one, of course, is in color. But John Carpenter made the intro more scarier. It sounded more scarier. That's how John Carpenter was so good at making horror movies. This movie was so good, but it unfortunately was ahead of its time. So they call it a cult classic, right? There was another alien movie being made during that time, and it was a competition of which alien movie was better. E.T., Oh, E.T. beat this thing? Yes, because, of course, Steven Spielberg was such a big director making all these big movies. People were like, oh, we got to watch Steven Spielberg over in John Carpenter. Because John Carpenter back then was making independent films, even though his movies were good. But they were more adult.
2: He wasn't popular yet.
1: No, he was popular, but his movies were not PG. They were adult. So it limits the... Viewers,
2: oh, got it, got it.
1: Yes, so Spielberg was more just kid friendly while The Thing was read at R, so not many people wanted to see it. And plus, it came out during the same time as ET, so people chose to see Spielberg's ET than John Carpenter's The Thing. So the film cost 15 million, but it only grossed 19 million in the United States alone.
2: Wow, they barely broke even,
1: they barely broke even, right? And the thing was, is that if they would have shown this movie, maybe months in advance maybe further from et it probably would have done much better in the box office okay yes so so i'm gonna tell you something about this movie right my little background me and my cousins would hang out together and we would just like to watch that movie all the time oh really yes me.
2: okay that makes sense now because philly you will watch that movie sometimes randomly when it's not even fall or halloween season you'll like watch it in april and i'm not okay with that i'm like what are you watching why are you watching this right now and you seem to just be watching it so nonchalantly now i yeah. understand why
1: yeah so me and my cousin they come over and they were like oh yeah the thing let's watch it let's watch it right so we're just sitting there watching it and we would just watch it all the time anytime they come over they like watch it like why don't you guys have this movie at home like no like, but your mom's into horror movies too. Are you telling me she doesn't have the thing there? They're like, no, she doesn't. (laughs) So I was like, okay, let's just put it on. It's like, yeah, it's tradition. When we're here, we put on the thing. I'm like, okay. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So of course, it started being developed in the 1970s, the mid-1970s. The producers wanted to make this film more closely to the book compared to the 1951s version. So they had to purchase the rights from the original studio, RKO, who actually had the title of the thing. Carpenter was approached before any other director, but was doubted because he was mainly an independent film director, right? And he was doing really good in his independent films, right? Such as Halloween, The Fog. So, of course, Universal was looking for another director that's under their contract. And guess what director they had in mind, That.
2: Oh, I would assume Steven Spielberg. No. Oh,
1: Tobe, well, Tobe Hopper.
2: He would have ruined this movie. Yeah,
1: he would have be like, <laughs> just thinking about that, because Tobe Hopper I was like, wait a minute. Spielberg? We were just talking about him with Spielberg. Like, yeah, because, of course, they were praising him on his Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Got and it. they wanted to find a director that's doing good in horror movies, right? He did that. Then I told you he did the Salem's Lot um, miniseries. So... This and poltergeist, right? Unfortunately Hopper and his writer failed on their pitches. So his pitches were terrible, I guess. Yeah. So they were pretty much thinking of something else. And like, nah, we don't like it. You know what? Forget it. We'll just find somebody else, right? Yeah. And then it just got to the point where we're like, you know what? We're just gonna forget about this. We're just hope put this movie on hold and hope for the best in the future, right? Now it started getting closer to the eighties and one big alien movie came out. Alien. By Ridley Scott. That movie came out in 1979, right? And when that movie came out, this is what got Universal like, Oh my God, they did this movie? Well, this might be a chance to make this movie now, The Thing. All because of Ridley Scott's Alien movie. Okay. So after that, Carpenter then joined the project, but thought it'd be difficult because he believed the original movie was already good that it would be difficult to surpass it
2: yeah like he didn't want to make a shitty remake or a shitty reboot
1: yeah so once going over his co-producer uh stuart Cohen about the original book the alien imitates humans perfectly which carpenter was like okay then he liked this other idea where he read another book by agatha chrissy it's called and then there were none and that book is based as a mystery book okay so it's like People kept disappearing. They don't know who's doing what, but somebody here is doing it, you know? Okay, it's I see kind the connection. Of, yeah, so using the the adaption of mystery into the project where one of the aliens has imitated someone and is purposely sabotaging things on the research center, making everybody go against each other, saying who's who, right? Nobody wants to confess. So they're all just like, we need to stay close together and... See who's doing what. So a person can lure someone to another location, and next thing you know, it could either kill them or imitate them. Okay. Yeah. So that's pretty much how it goes, right? So you saw the movie, right? They're all like in one room, and they cannot like leave each other's sight because they don't trust each other, right? But they have to look up to somebody that can actually be the me- uh, the mediator to the grip, like okay. Who's going to call the shots here so we can trust somebody that, you know, who might not be anything or who may be human or, you know, and they chose Kurt Russell's character. They felt that he was a better leader. So he's like, okay, I'll do this. Uh Try to find out who's human and who's not. So when it came to casting, notable actors that the studio wanted to be involved. So we had some three big actors during that time. Christopher Walken. Jeff. Yeah. Jeff Bridges. Of course. Nick Nolte. Oh, Yeah, but they were unavailable or they declined.
0: Fine. They didn't
1: want to see themselves starring in a monster movie. So Kurt Russell was already involved with the project, not as an actor, but just involved. They just decided to cast him because him and John Carpenter were already making movies together. And they made one together, which was Escape from New York. Then for the other big role, the child's role, they were looking at Carl Weathers, which is Apollo Creed. Oh, okay. Yes, they were pretty much the survivors in the end of the movie as well. Ooh, spoilers. Yes. Well, it's an old movie. I think most people would see it, right? So, of course, they moved on to locations in their filming. So, not everything was shot in studio. You know, a lot of uh, studios prefer to shoot in their studios because it saves them money. And shooting on location to them costs too much money. But because John Carpenter's history of filming on locations because he prefers authentic locations universal gave him the credibility to go ahead and shoot on location oh, okay yeah so he they shot in alaska british columbia and then some parts like pretty much indoor places i think they've shot that in the universal lot the scary parts, right? So the alien creations and transformations were so disgusting and grotesque. They were created by this one guy named Rob Bodden. He made the aliens strange and weird, right? Something abnormal.
2: Was he like the makeup artist?
1: Yeah, he was the makeup artist. Ah. He made all these weird things. Doesn't it look weird how those aliens, they were creepy and stuff, and he created that? That's crazy, huh?
2: Yeah, totally.
1: He said the thing assimilating, for example, the alien dog was on a table pretty much And the puppeteers were under the table, you know, moving the arms and legs and guts and stuff.
2: Yeah, that's like the worst scene in the movie for me.
1: Right? So that's one thing. And then the Norris thing, which is the guy when his stomach opens up and amputates the arms, right? All that with a prosthetic arm, of course, filled with wax bone, rubber veins, and jello. Oh. Yeah. You know, I still can't figure out this. I try to look it up. When the guy's head turns into a spider and the eyes grow out.
2: Right. That's just so... That's crazy.
1: Yeah. Doing that. So I'm going to tell you something about that. Because I saw this on the interview, uh, the background of uh, the thing. When John Carpenter was talking about when this guy, Rob, when he did the whole head with the the legs coming out and the eyes coming out and making it crawl, he was like, like... He felt so relieved because he's like, I didn't want alien people in suits i don't want i don't like that i know alien did really good the movie alien did good with a guy in a suit right but i didn't want that but this guy did all these things that i was just like so relieved that this guy made it look good
2: like he was able to pull it off
1: yeah so that's something i never figured out to this day they probably put a little cart and they just had like Somebody rolled the cart while the head was and the legs moving at the same time.
2: Yeah, I'm sure really? a lot went into it.
1: And of course the stomach was the mechanical jaw, right? So they, of course they opened it where they clamped and psh, the alien coming out of the gut and it still puppeteered as well, right? Okay. So this other scene, and this one amazed me. So you know that one when they're doing the blood test? and the blood shoots up in the air, right? That's when the the Palmer alien starts transforming, right? But this one scene that got me questions, like how did he get to the ceiling so quickly like that? Like it looked like he fell but upwards. I don't know if you've seen that part.
2: Uh, yeah, I've seen it.
1: Like how does that happen where he falls really hard to the ceiling? Yeah. So this is how they did it. They used this technique called the camera con- uh, centrifuge. It's a rotating drum with a fixed camera platform.
0: Okay.
1: It's a a crazy setup. So it's pretty much they made a set in a machine where the machine rotates the room. And the camera just like sits there as it films. Oh, I see. Yeah, so that's how he was able to shoot to the ceiling so quickly. So technically, he fell to the floor. And the camera was on the ceiling, technically.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so, it's so fascinating how they come up, like, crazy ways to make sure these shots look a certain way. I think that's why I really respect the the film industry, because they're able to pull these things off.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of crazy how, like, because it's like, how did he fall to the ceiling? That's pretty, like, he felt like going up. Yeah. You know? But that's what it's called, camera centrifuge. That was one of the biggest alien movies ever made. So that is the thing. Wow. Yeah. So my second movie so I'm going to go again cuz you had all the shows and talk. Now I'm going to go to another movie. It's going to, I'm going to keep this one short. But this one could be a good horror but political situation here. Okay. When it comes to pollution it bothers people and bothers us, right?
2: Yeah, of course.
1: So, we're going to throw a horror movie that involves that type of pollution in a way So, it wasn't the biggest horror movie. It wasn't a big, like, super scary movie. But it's a good horror to think, like, what if pollution can do this? The movie is called Prophecy. Oh, okay. It was a sci-fi horror film, which came out in 1979, directed by John Frankenheimer. The only big, well-known movie he's ever directed was with Robert De Niro, which was his action movie called Ronin. It It was a millennial action movie.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a really
1: good Robert De Niro movie. You saw it and you're like, oh, wow, it's really good.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I, I definitely wanted uh, an episode on that later on yeah. after our Halloween season is done.
1: Yeah. It starred Robert Foxworth, but there was another actress in that movie as well, and she is very well-known, big actress of the 70s. Um, Nat, guess who it is?
0: Adrian.
1: Well, you already knew, huh? Oh, well, I showed it to you. Yes. Talia Shire? she was in it the whole story starts out of course the rescue team is looking for missing lumberjacks somewhere in the woods of maine the dogs detect something and they start going crazy and one of them bolts over a cliff but is caught right oh okay so the rescue team is trying to pull the dog up but then something's pulling the dog down and then next thing you know they pull it back up and they only got a leash but they don't hear the dog at all they's like we didn't hear the dog fall oh, What no. happened? So the two rescue team members climb down, you know, like Rock climb down, and one of the guys stays up to watch with his dog. And next thing you know, the guy's just like, how you guys doing down there, right? He just hears screaming and ah, And the guy, instead of just being smart, like, you know what, get the heck out of here, he goes down, right? And then when he's climbing down, he falls. And when he falls, he sees the bodies next to him, he's like, what the? And then, of course, an abnormal roar which the viewers don't see. And the guy looks at the camera and he starts screaming. It's roaring at him, right? It leaves the viewers questioning, like, what was it? Right. And, of course, he dies, right? The reason, like, I talk about this is that it was based in the 70s. And I guess there was a Native American movement during this time. The movie continues on as the EPA go to this doctor they know, who's really smart, and... They know nothing about any pollution, nothing yet, right? It's just, he's like, hey, we have this conflict going on with these loggers and these Native Americans. And we want you to go up there. How about you take your wife up there with you, right? And his wife, of course, is Adrian, right, Talia? Yes. And the thing is, she's pregnant and refuses to tell him. That she's pregnant because he's against having children But oh, okay. she's pregnant.
2: Oh, that's a tough spot.
1: Yeah. And she's having symptoms and they're like, you need to tell him, right? So they send him to make a report about the logging company being quote unquote threatened by Native Americans. They're trying to play the victim role. Okay. Saying the natives are retaliating and the loggers are pretending to be like the victims and they're killing them or they're, the loggers are disappearing and they, they're blaming the Native American. Okay. So the doctor listens to the loggers story, right? Right. He's like, okay, the loggers are saying this because the Native Americans are actually a little too pushy. So he's believing the loggers, right? But a native approaches the doctor who's apprehensive but finds out that the natives revealed things to the doctor that is very strange to the land. So the doctor's like, wait a minute, I'm seeing these things, what these natives are showing me. So he takes him to a certain area, and he sees things that are like unusual to be happening in this area. Like the size of a fish, like a certain type of fish, it's too big. This bullfrog is gigantic.
2: It's like a lot of mutations, Yeah. yeah.
1: And then the tree roots are growing on the surface. He's like, this is very weird. Why is this happening? Now I'm understanding what these Native Americans are talking about. And then they see one of the tribe members who was smoking a cigarette and he was burning his hand without feeling the pain what okay yeah so that's why he's like why is and they're saying that they're like these things are happening to their people like the their kids are mutating and they have to kill them because they become monsters and they don't and they feel like it's the pollution from the logging company so the leader of the tribe the the tribes are called the opie people have this prophecy this prophecy is a monster that the monster's name is katandan and the leader has seen him and he protects the natives and the land okay pretty much saying that when people outsiders are trying to move into their land and destroy it katandan comes and scares them or kills them or whatever right yeah protecting
2: them protecting
1: them right so the doctor is like that's weird okay nice story you know like you've seen this thing right okay whatever right because he said he's it's tall it's big and it looks weird yeah like he doesn't really give it too so much attention yeah so, so the doctor's like you know what if i'm seeing all these weird things let's go to the logging company right they take a little tour with the the logger that told them that these native americans are this and that right so they're exploring they're like well we don't see anything illegal here so i wonder what's going on right They're not telling me they're putting anything. But then he saw something on Adrian's shoe. And he's like, see that on your shoe? It's a liquid metal. And they found out it was mercury. Oh. And this is true about mercury. that I heard that mercury actually, if it's used improper, it can cause mutations. Oh, so it's toxic. So, yes. So the scene shows that he's uh, studying with books. And he found out what mercury can do and realizing that this whole force is polluted based upon what these loggers are doing. Right? And he's like, this whole place is contaminated because of this mercury poison, right? And then Adrian starts crying because she's like, we ate a fish from the lake and she's pregnant. And she didn't tell him that that she's pregnant, right?
2: Oh, so now she's worried. Yeah.
1: So she's like, she just said something else, right? Like, what if a pregnant animal were to have eaten something from the lake, right? Yeah. And then it goes back to the doctor and the doctor's like sweating and like breathing hard. Like, oh my God. Like... The doctor is freaking out he's saying it could create something terribly like wait a minute what did the op chief just say he said he saw something big like something with different parts of different animals right right so he's like oh my god do you think something pregnant ate something from there and mutated whatever and maybe created something and, of course, it revealed that a pregnant grizzly bear ate it, and it mutated and turned into a gigantic monster. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and it kills people. Of course, what happens is this mutated grizzly bear kills a family in the woods camping, sadly, and the loggers are blaming the Native Americans for it. So they're trying to arrest every male Native American they can.
0: Oh, jeez, okay.
1: Yeah, so, so right? So they like to play, play this game, right? Doesn't it sound kind of like something... That's kind of going on when they blame somebody for something.
2: Yeah, when it's, yeah, when it's not the truth, they're not to be blamed yes, for Yes,
1: right? So they will, they go to the area where the killing happening, right? The doctor's like, I need to go to that area. I need to see what happened over there. And he saw something very strange, like, look at the claws on this tree. And she's like, maybe from a bear? And he's like, that's too deep. This from a bear? And there was some weird fungus skin. He's like, she's like, I don't know, right? And then Adrian doesn't feel good because she's pregnant, right? She's having... You know, stress. You, you Women go through it, right? You know, right? When there are times you just feel stressed and oh, yeah, it makes you course. feel yucky.
2: Well, you feel sick when you're pregnant. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then she goes over to a lake and she hears something crying. And she looks and she's like, oh my God. Like she wanted to start screaming and they found a mutated cub. Oh. And it was still alive. And he, he was like, wait a minute. We need to keep that cub alive. This is our proof to show that they are polluting this area and this cub is to show it. This is called mercury poisoning. This is what it created, right? Right. So they have to go back and they go to a tribe to try to keep the cub alive to bring these people. Like, no, we need to get the police and them over here to see what they created, right? Right, yeah. So the logger, the chief logger comes in. He's like, what do you guys want? It better be good. We need to show you something. And he comes in. This is mercury-type poisoning, And again, he looks at some mutated bear and they're all looking at it. And he's all like, oh, my God. He's freaking out, right? Yeah,
2: like, this is real. And
1: he walks out of the tent, and then the doctor's like, hey, come back here. I need to talk to you. Do you know you're putting this substance in your your meals and stuff like that? And the logger lied to him in the beginning and said, I didn't want people to find out. Oh. Right. And next thing you know, the monster comes, because it's the cub, and the parent is coming, the mutated, you know, and it kills them all, right? It tries to kill them all, right? But they survive, of course. They need to find a way to escape, and... Save themselves from this mutated bear. And, of course, they were able to kill it. Um, Adrian and him, the doctor, survive, right? But that's how the movie ends. Wow. Yeah. So the monster is played by multiple actors, but one is very well known. And he played the predator.
2: Yeah.
1: Kevin Peter Hall. Oh, right. He was really tall. They said he was a gentle, tall guy. And they would make him pay, uh, play these... Monsters as well, right? A just, like, giant, yeah. just like Doug, right? Yeah, this film was filmed in British Columbia in Canada, again, and the movie's supposed to be based in Maine. They shot some scenes in California and Franklin Canyon. There were some deleted scenes when the movie came out, but they put back because they felt like it was too gory or too violent, right? But it was a, it was an okay horror movie, you know, for a monster movie, right? I thought it was good. yeah. I think back then some people were just like, I think it was like a couple's movie to watch depending on the atmosphere of what their type of horror movie is, right?
2: Okay, so there's like more romantic aspects to it?
1: Uh, No, not really. Well, then <laughs> why
2: is it a couple's movie? I'm
1: going to tell you why. Stephen King, he he's a good horror writer, right? Yeah. And he has something to say about this movie. One, he said the inconsistency of... These type of people living in teepees, the truth is these type of people live in cabins, not in teepees.
0: Oh, so there's right? some... Story. And also,
1: Steve, he said that this is a type of movie that I would see in a drive-in. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's why I think a drive-in, you know how some couples, men take women to go see scary movies so they snuggle to them.
2: Oh, got it. Yeah, see? Wait, is that why you showed me this movie?
1: You didn't <laughs> snuggle with me on that movie are
2: <laughs> talking about. <laughs>
1: Your plan failed. Yeah, it failed. But anyways, that movie. But the reason why I talk about this movie as being political is I didn't get to say this and I will say it now. I based upon the movie, based upon how people can take advantage of what Earth provides us. And some people destroy it for their sources. They use their man-made pollution tactics to create their products off what Mother Nature provides. And they pollute the world with it and yet they want to play the victim role and say no it's people like you guys that are destroying this world right right and some and you think about it like think about it with gas right we're trying to make electrical energy and people are using gas emissions and they're polluting the world and they're trying to say like no no this is a good energy source electrical is bad right
2: yeah it's like just people don't want to be progressive they don't want to move forward and they tell us to clean up beaches and clean up parks and to rake the rainforest but they don't do anything to actually stop companies that are actually hurting the environment
1: and it's pretty much what i think about this movie is using things like that because it's happened to this world to this day and thank god there's no mutated bears killing people right but You know, it's just an idea to show, like, what man can do to what Earth has provided us, what God has given us, and misuse it. And look, right. right? And then, like I said, play the victim role and blame the people that are trying to protect the world, right?
2: Right. They're always blaming the vegans.
1: The vegans, yeah. <laughs> well, you guys are eating all the plants, right? <laughs> okay. So that was prophecy. Now to the next film so this is my last film for the day and this is a sci-fi horror and it's none other than the fly
2: ah the fly okay i'm ready it's made in
1: 1986 this had incredibly good reviews and massive acclaim this movie cost an estimated nine million dollars to make and grossed over 60 million
2: wow that that's good that's really good
1: it was directed by David Kronzberg, who also directed *History of Violence*, *Eastern Promises*, those movies with Viggo Morrison.
0: Okay. Right. Yeah. The
1: film starred Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, which we know from *Beetlejuice*, and John Getz. You recognize him from *Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead*. The <laughs> I call him the Sleaze Ball.
2: Oh, like that—that that boyfriend, that wannabe boyfriend.
1: Yeah. Well, not the boyfriend to the to her boss.
2: Oh, okay, okay. Yes. Yeah, got it. Yes. That was a good movie, too.
1: Yeah, that was, huh? Kronberg received a lot of praise for his work on this movie. Jeff Goldblum's performance was amazing, and this was one of his best leading roles. In my opinion, I believe this was his big break. Okay. Yes, he's done other projects before, but this was it right here.
2: Okay, I agree. He he was an amazing actor and the film. Although I hated it, I, I love to watch him.
1: Yeah. So, we know actors do other movies before they're popular movie. In fact, Goldblum appeared in 20 films before The Fly, but who knows him from those movies? I don't. Well, there is one movie I do know him from, um, Death Wish, but that was one of his earlier roles, but it was a small one.
2: So, this one was like his big break that like made the most money and made him more popular?
1: Pretty much, yes. Got it. So... This film established Goldblum's career because after The Fly, he was in the Jurassic Park franchise. All right. And Independence Day. He also appeared on the host of Saturday Night Live. Oh, that's cool. Just a, and I remember one of them uh, where... <laughs> where he's at a baseball stadium and he's uh, causing cheers like everybody do a wave ah! and then and back of him is adam sandler and chris farley
2: <laughs> he's that fan yeah yeah
1: and it's you know how saturday night live uh, hosts they're in those skits yeah yeah and they're supposed to be the main ones Right. And they do, and they just have to go with it. And all those comedians are around them, just like you know, they want to laugh real hard when they know like this guy's gonna do something, and they know oh, it's coming.
2: I want to watch that.
1: Yeah. But anyways, so Goldblum actually won a Saturn Award for Best Actor for this film.
2: Okay, cool.
1: I don't know if you know what the Saturn Awards are.
2: No, I'm not familiar. Yeah,
1: Saturn Awards are for sci-fi, fantasy, horror movies. So it's kind of like their Academy Awards, because back in those days, sci-fi, those type of these horrors, fantasies, were not getting enough praise in the Academy Awards, so they created an award ceremony for those type of films.
2: Or like for their own genre?
1: Yes, correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quick synopsis. This film, obviously, starts like this. Brilliant scientists create an invention called telepods, which transports things from one pod to another there are conflicts with living things as he fixes the air and to make sure it works completely he tests himself with the pod
2: oh that's so dangerous yes
1: very dangerous well depends unfortunately because he's by himself a house fly flies inside when the pod activates it splices his genetics with the fly even though he comes out he looks human but he slowly starts transforming into a humanoid insect. He gets so desperate to become human again. And the only way is to have his girlfriend join him in the telepod to eliminate the fly genetics and fuse with him just for him to become human. Oh, okay, yes. Mm-hmm. And of course, he goes psycho, right? It's like you're, you go through desperation that you'll do whatever it takes to become human and his mind just goes crazy.
2: Right, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't, though? I mean, I agree. I think I'd probably go crazy, too, if I started
1: turning into a fly. So the insect physiology kicks in, and Seth transforms into a grotesque monster fly. In desperation, Seth forces his victim into the pod, but she is saved by her boss. She then kills the fly in a dramatic ending. Mm,
0: Okay.
1: Yes, so that's pretty much the whole fly right there, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The film began production in the early 80s. From majority of production companies making a remake, they ma- they thought it was a joke and it was not worth making.
2: Oh, got it. Well, I haven't seen the first one,
1: though. Yeah, the first one. So the first one was just a Vincent Price horror movie, okay. but it didn't show much of Vincent Price. But the purpose was the same situation, but instead of him mutating into the fly, it's just a doctor's head and his arm turns into a fly. It didn't look
2: legit because... Because you said this movie was so like wonderfully acclaimed that I think the the makeup the and Jeff Goldblum's character really set this film over the edge. you oh, know yes. maybe the first one didn't have such a dramatic fir- yes. transformation yes. of the character. The
1: first one was just like a, a costume like a, a mask over the guy's head and then they just put like a huge glove on his hand pretty much. That's what they did.
2: Yeah, and like the, that type of crappy like artsmanship, so to speak, yeah. just doesn't do it for the audience, I would assume. Yeah,
1: the original one was made, I think, in the 50s or the 60s. Okay. So that was the best they could do. Right, right, okay. <laughs> right? But to Hollywood back then, that was good. Oh, and, okay. of course, they had icon Vincent Price in the movie.
2: Right, and he's the voice of um, uh, the thriller narrator, right?
1: Yes, correct. Okay. So most sides say the positives because the film was successful. But based on what was said... Some producers didn't take it seriously and didn't want to commit to the film. So saying that the film is good now that you see the sights and it says that, oh, this was the greatest sci-fi horror movie ever made. But during the making or even before it was even into production, people thought it was going to be terrible. It was going to be bad. It wasn't worth making. So no production company wanted to put money into it. Oh, okay. So the writers and them, they started to look around, try to find somebody. So they had to go off another genre type of producer. And they heard about this one producer who was able to do a movie similar to The Fly. And way out of a different genre, his name was Mel Brooks.
2: Oh, Mel Brooks, okay. Yeah,
1: and we all know Mel Brooks, the comedy guy, right? Yeah, of
2: course, all his friends are oh, dead.
1: Yeah, wow, that's <laughs> messed up, but yes. <laughs> yes, we all know him, Franken- Young Frankenstein, right. Blazing Saddles, so <laughs> forth, right? Yes. Yeah, and that's Mel Brooks. We all all know Mel Brooks, right? Yes. But him doing a horror movie?
2: Yeah, who'd have thunk it?
1: Yeah, huh, it's just like you put like Adam Sandler in a horror movie.
2: Adam Sandler would totally ruin I, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. you see what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: So Brooks gave him the opportunity, like, okay, fine, I'll produce this film. But he said to please keep his name off the credits. Because when you hear Mel Brooks, what do you think of? You think of oh, it's gonna be a funny movie, The Fly. Oh my God, it's a good Mel Brooks movie. Let's go see it. Oh my God, way different than what I seen. Oh, definitely.
2: Yeah, I mean, like Mel Mel Brooks fans would probably go rushing through to this movie and be totally disappointed and disgusted, right? Yes. So it makes sense. I think that was a very smart move of him to keep his name off of the film. Yes,
1: because he did the same thing for The Elephant Man. Ah. Yeah, that's actually a true story, The Elephant Man. Oh right. Mm -hmm. Yes, but so this is what they did instead. Instead of just putting Mel Brooks' film they gave it the name called Brooks Films. Okay. So it still has his name in it, but people wouldn't know that was Mel Brooks. I they, mean,
2: there's a lot of different Brooks out there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> okay.
1: So when Mel Brooks looked through the script when he was going to help them produce this film, right? he said the script really needed some revising, so they had to go forward with a director that could make it better. So, of course, they already went to David Kronberg in the beginning, but at that time, he was working on another movie, Total Recall. The the movie Arnold Schwarzenegger was doing. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the thing was, they weren't into production just yet. They were just doing pre-production. So he wasn't filming anything yet. He was pretty much just working to prep for the film.
2: Oh, okay. So he was...
1: Pre-production. Yeah. Writing the stories, all this stuff, casting, so forth. Right? Got it. So they had to find another director. So they found this one director. His name is Robert Bierman. He only directed one film that I think a few of us might know. It's called The Vampire's Kiss with Nicolas Cage.
2: Oh, I love Nicolas Cage. Don't yes. know about this vampire Yeah, movie. me neither. That's,
1: that's what I said when you hear some of these directors that they pick and they only have like one movie.
2: Okay. Yeah. Right.
1: But unfortunately, he had a family tragedy as his daughter was killed in an accident. Oh. So he told his production team that he wouldn't be capable of directing, right? Yeah. Brooks was very humbled. He was a nice guy and he's like, I'm sorry this happened. I'll release you. So you can be with your family. So that put the movie on hold to find another director. So they were looking and guess what happened? They found out that something happened to Total Recall that Kronberg was no longer with the production team anymore.
2: Oh, so he was available now. So he
1: was available now. Got it. And once they approached him again, he agreed as long as he got to rewrite the script, which they allowed him to. Okay. Right? Yeah. He made some changes, but he kept the initial plot. They knew Kronberg and his body horror style. That's the type of horror he does. So once he finished, they approved the script and they started shooting. Great. So when it came to casting, and Davis was already picked.
2: Okay, yeah. Was this after Beetlejuice?
1: Uh, no, this was before Beetlejuice. Oh, okay. Yes. This actually might have given her even more boost. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. So even though she was already good, this movie made her even bigger. <laughs> when it came to choosing who would play Seth Brundle, they chose Jeff Goldblum. Interesting things about how good Jeff Goldblum was. So you know that whole line in the restaurant when they're in the restaurant after he went through the machine and he's talking to his girlfriend, Ronnie? Yeah. So he was going through this conversation about the telepod, right? Half of that conversation was written and he improv most of that.
2: Or th- like the rest of it? Yes. Oh, okay.
1: That's how good he was.
2: Yeah, that, that takes a lot of skill.
1: Yes. Improving is pretty easy or it could be pretty difficult. One or the other. Yeah, it It
2: depends on your personality and how fast and how smart you are. Yeah,
1: but something that was going to be a challenge film wind up winning some big awards, especially an Oscar. Hey, if you win an Oscar, you're doing something right. So it won an Oscar for Best Makeup, which was Chris Wallace. Okay, Hey, Oscar's an Oscar, right?
2: Yeah, of course. And for makeup, you won yeah. an Oscar for doing makeup. I mean, geez. Oh, yeah.
1: And also won, of course, the three Saturn Awards.
2: Okay.
1: Right? Saturn, right? For Best Actor, Makeup Again, and Best Horror Film. Yeah,
2: 1010 would agree.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that, too. So, when I showed Nat this movie, of course, she was disgusted. Right, mean, Nat. <laughs>
2: you can expose me right now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It was an interesting film when I first seen it. But what did you really think about that movie?
2: Well, I remember we watched it when we were dating.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, we were like, we were dating and we wanted to like spend the night in or whatever, and we ended up putting it on the fly. And I had never seen it before. I grew up like I said, kind of sheltered, and yeah. this movie like made me cry.
1: Not with, I remember how you expressed this when you saw this. So in the end of the movie, and of course, the whole scenario what happens. And it gave Nat feelings. And she's like, oh my God. She's like, oh my God, I don't know why I feel like this, but it's so weird. But I feel, oh my God. She was just saying that all the time. Because in the end of the film, he went through the telepod when he was trying to get out and put her back in. But it took some of that telepod out and mutated him with the telepod. But it hurt him. Damaged him so badly that... He was already in a dying situation and then he's crawling slowly to her while she's holding the shotgun and he gets his deformed claw and he puts the shotgun to his head.
2: Yeah, that was the worst part because you know that the character Seth is still in there. He's still inside the fly and that was probably the most heartbreaking part of the movie is when you realize his body is going through all these changes but he's still conscious and that's what broke my heart.
1: Yeah, because he was like, I'm still me but... I'm done. I can't do this no more. Just end it. And uh, and of course, the actress, Gina Davis, who plays Ronnie, was like, oh no. She was like, no, no. Like, because, That was her lover, and now she has to kill him.
2: Yeah, and he's like begging her to kill him. That, he's in immense pain, and he's a freaking fly. He's a a massive fly. He's a
1: mutated humanoid fly. Yeah. And, of course, kills him. Yeah. And and that's how the movie ends.
2: Yeah, and that's... Okay, a movie that ends that way, when you kill the, the, so to speak, the, the hero of the movie, this is a horror movie, but he's not a monster, he's not the villain, he's not evil. He's just this scientist this brilliant scientist that had this terrible thing happen to him and he can't get out of it and there's no fixing it. Yeah. You know, and that it's so hard when a movie ends like that because you, you root for him. You know, you want him to survive this and you want a movie to have a happy ending. And this is one of those movies where you don't get a happy ending and you're left shattered.
1: Yeah, and that's why I felt that this movie, not just being horror, but I felt that maybe this movie also gave, which it did with you, Nat, another feeling. A movie that can reach out to people like that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: no matter what genre it is, that means that you had a good writer yeah. and a good director. Which he did both, David Kronberg.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean you can this his talent is just like beaming through yeah. in this film.
1: Yeah. And he's a really good director, a good horror director. His recent film, he just barely came back and did one film. It's called Crimes of the Future. I have not seen it yet. Okay. So it'll be worth to see, but we'll do it another time.
2: Okay, yeah. sure. I, I, I mean, if he did the fly, I mean, he, I'd be happy to watch other stuff he did. Yeah. But can I add something more to um, what we were talking about, the fly? Okay. Um, um, it's interesting that they chose a fly to be what messes up this character because a mm-hmm. fly is probably the most disgusting insect that no human could have empathy for. Okay. And how are you supposed to feel bad for something that's so nasty? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And like, I remember this is a gross story and we can cut this out later. I remember when I was pregnant with my son and there was like a fat fly in the house. Like, you know, and I'm I'm pregnant and it was summertime and I'm hot and I'm just, I already feel disgusting. So there's this massive fly and you were at work. I think I called you Mm -hmm. and I swatted, like I got up out of my seat With purpose, I got, like, a magazine or something, and I, with purpose, forcefully killed this fly against the window, right? (laughs) Like, and this fly, one of their defense mechanisms is that they release all their babies if they're pregnant. So I killed the fly, and then all these maggots fell out of it. And so so there I was, pregnant, disgusted, hot and sweaty, just killed the fly, and now there's maggots on my floor, and I called you. Do you remember this? Yes. And I remember being like, oh, my gosh. So when you think of an insect like that and how it, like, cross-contaminated a human like human genetics mm-hmm. and then at the end of that movie you feel bad for this thing yeah how is that possible that that just goes to show how amazing this writing was how good the director was and what an awesome actor Jeff Goldblum was yes. and even Gina Davis and how well she portrayed you know the sadness yes. that, that she had to kill her lover that's why I think the first time I saw the movie I was I got emotional about it because it was I was grossed out but then I felt so terrible Mm-hmm. so that that yeah, was that that's yeah, my two cents
1: yeah but yep yeah, it did get to you yeah it did. it did but anyways that's it for my part for the day now we saved a good family one and that's gonna go over it
2: okay phil so it's my turn and we like you said we chose a family film we are gonna talk about disney's the haunted mansion
1: Ooh, the haunted mansion yeah
2: with eddie murphy yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs>
2: Phil does a really good Eddie Murphy impression or he does a really good um clumps. Clump in, in impression. It makes me laugh.
0: Oh Sherman. <laughs> Sherman. Oh <laughs> We need some fried chicken. Oh, you look fabulous, Sherman. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, um so the Haunted Mansion came out in two thousand and three. So early two thousands. It was directed by Rob McClough, and Rob McClough actually co-directed The Lion King. Can you believe that?
1: Oh, the original uh, Lion King? Yeah,
2: and he also directed Stuart Little 1 and 2.
1: Oh, Stuart Little.
2: Yeah, so you know this is going to oh, be a good wait. movie.
1: Was that, I just remember something about Stuart Little, and I forgot. Was it Michael J. Fox, the voice, Stuart <laughs> Little?
2: Yeah. hmm the story was written by David Bearbaum who wrote Elf with Will Ferrell. Oh. Yeah, so uh, so far to start, great director, great writer. It is loosely based on the Disney ride of the same name, The Haunted Mansion
1: at Disneyland.
2: And this surprised me because I just thought the ride was based on the movie
1: and yeah. not the other
2: way around, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I knew that. Did you want to know something about The Haunted Mansion? Tell me. I thought the Haunted Mansion was just based on Nightmare Before Christmas because any time we would go to Disneyland, it was during the winter time. And during the winter time, they changed the format of the Haunted Mansion. Oh, into the, the yeah. Yeah, to the Nightmare Before Christmas.
2: Oh, really? Okay, I didn't yes. know that.
1: So the Haunted Mansion will be Jack the Pumpkin King. Oh, okay. Oogie Boogie, yes.
2: Got it, cool, cool. Yeah, so that ride actually... um opened up in 1969 in Disneyland California so yeah <laughs> the movie came after
1: uh-huh.
2: right so the film had a 90 million dollar budget
1: can you believe that 90 million yeah well that's Disney but Jesus
2: seriously and it only made 24 million in its first weekend
1: I think that's bad
2: yeah it only made 24 million its millions first weekend but because it, it received bad reviews but worldwide it made 182 million dollars.
1: So it doubled. Yeah,
2: pretty much. But
1: that, it, need, it needed the whole world, though.
2: Yeah, it needed the whole world to save it. It had a lot of negative reviews, like I said. And they claimed that the movie was, uh, quote, a lifeless ghost movie, which I think is funny because ghosts are lifeless, anyways. Like, what <laughs> did they expect, right? Yeah. And this goes, like I've said before, why are these big movie critics reviewing children's movies?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. That's like the second one you went over, like Casper. Yeah, yeah and,
2: and also Hocus Pocus had nasty reviews two
1: the second one or the first one the
2: first one oh my
1: god yeah you know what I think uh, all I can say to this Adults, if you see Disney they're feature not films, you. they're not for you. That, they're not for you. They're for kids. <laughs> right. So keep your mouth quiet. Sit with your kids. Let them watch it. It's for them.
2: Yeah, it's for them. So mm-hmm. of course, even though, you know, these movies are getting negative reviews, they end up becoming cult classics. Mm-hmm. And this is what it is. You know, The Haunted Mansion has become a cult classic. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a word of a reboot coming out next year in
1: 2023. Oh, yeah. I heard about that. Yeah.
2: So we'll see. <laughs> so quick synopsis, successful realtors Jim and Sarah Evers, which are played by Eddie Murphy and Marsha Thomas, mm-hmm. and their two kids visit a mansion called Gracie Manor near the bayou. They go there to make a sale and meet the owner. Uh, the owner's is named Edward Gracie, and they also meet his help. But when a rainstorm traps the family, they end up staying at the mansion until the weather clears up. <laughs> During their stay, the Evers family learn that the mansion is inhabited by ghosts and that the mother, Sarah, looks suspiciously similar to Elizabeth, which is Edward's former lover. Mm. Ooh, there's drama. <laughs> Edward told the family that Elizabeth passed away by act of suicide, but soon they find out that this isn't the truth. Elizabeth was murdered by the butler named Ramsey. <laughs> Ramsey thought that Edward's and Elizabeth, their relationship was not formal enough. <laughs> but Edward, he's so distraught by losing his lover that he, like, blackmails Sarah into marrying him. Uh... Eddie Murphy's character Jim has to rescue his wife and children from the haunted mansion in the end. The innocent ghosts are able to go to heaven while the murderous butler is dragged down to hell. So big themes in this movie, right? Mm -hmm. So like I said, the movie came out in 2003, but it was almost made earlier. It almost came out in the 90s. Yeah. At the time, the head of Walt Disney Pictures, whose name was Jeff Kratzenberg, mm-hmm. he had been wanting to make movies after attractions. So that was yeah. That was his whole spiel, like, oh, I want to make a movie after the Matterhorn, let's say, or, or he wanted to make
1: or a- the famous one, Pirates of the Caribbean.
2: Right. Yeah. So they're making movies after these rides. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, you can say it was ahead of its time. The original script was set in New York and. Instead of Jim and Sarah being realtors, they were going to be attorneys. No. So a few, a few little differences here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's some fun facts. The mansion scenes were filmed in Santa Clarita, California.
1: Oh. Yes. Oh, okay.
2: So not too far from us. Not too so
1: far. Yeah.
2: Uh, this is the first Disney film to use a real curse word.
1: What curse word was that?
2: When Eddie Murphy says, "Big ass termites."
1: Uh, of course, it's an Eddie Murphy word. <laughs> yeah, it's an Eddie Murphy quote. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Throughout the movie, there are five hitting Nickies.
1: Really. Yeah, throughout the- oh, you know, I have to remember that in Disney movies, they always put Easter eggs of, of Mickey or Goofy or Donald. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, also, Pixar does a similar thing with other Pixar movies. Like, you'll see the pizza truck yes. and a lot of... Yeah, it's their thing that they do. It's great. Uh, so, back to the hitting Mickeys. I'm going to tell you where they are, okay? Mm-hmm. They are on the padlock of the mansion's gates. Mm-hmm. Then the, the, second, the second one you see is on a suit of armor and Mm -hmm. the Mickey is on the axe Mm wield. The third one you see briefly um, when Ramsay is is messing with the potions um, in the Goblet of Wine during the wedding ceremony. Two other hidden Mickeys are on the couch in the library and in the windows that Jim passes when he chases the musical instruments. Oh. So they happen fast. I'm sure you, a lot of people okay. have missed them, you know.
1: Yeah, I see what you mean. You'd
2: have to like pause the movie to find them. And like the camera doesn't zoom in on them either. So yeah. you'd likely miss them.
1: That's the point. Uh, when they put these little Easter eggs, the camera doesn't force you to see that, but they kind of want you to see it, but then they don't want you to see it.
2: Right, right, right. So in the first version of the script, Don Knotts was actually going to play the caretaker.
1: <laughs> you know him, right? Yeah, Don Knotts. Yeah, he
2: later dropped out before filming, but the character and his dogs were retained in cameo roles. They appeared later in Ghosts in the Graveyard.
1: Hmm. You see
2: him briefly again. Mm-hmm. Um, okay phil this next fact is for you okay what is it when eddie murphy's character arrives at the front door of the mansion he makes a comment about the giant doors knockers mm-hmm. <laughs> so he says like oh look at these knockers oh. and that's likely a, a nod to the same gag in the movie young frankenstein that we oh, talked about. Yeah. what uh, knockers
1: instead of that and they somebody says oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> all
2: right uh another fact for you philly is that terence stamp appeared in eddie murphy in the film bowfinger
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. it was his therapist.
2: Yeah, and in this film, uh, Murphy plays a character named Kit Ramsey. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and and Stan plays the character Ramsey in the other one. Oh, my God. (laughs) Get it? I
1: never noticed that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. so that's kind of funny. Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) I knew you'd get a kick out of that because Bowfinger is one of our favorites. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Bowfinger.
2: And lastly, I want to talk about a movie goof that I found. When the Evers family is um, arriving up to the mansion, the wife, Sarah, is wearing a bright yellow suit. When they get out of the car, her suit is pink. And what? then yeah, and then when they get into the mansion, her suit is yellow again.
1: What the fuck? Oh. <laughs> right? How, how did Disney mess that up? How do you mess
2: that up, right? I thought
1: they were all about perfection.
2: No, I'm telling you there's goofs in every movie. Oh,
1: I know, but no, Disney, I'm saying.
2: Yeah, true, true. Yeah, so that's that's one that's one very noticeable goof that I found. But yeah, overall this movie is like so fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Um it's scary just it's the right amount of scary and the right amount of funny. Eddie Murphy definitely brought his energy yeah. into this movie. That
1: I, I bet it was kind of hard for him to kind of keep his language clean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the the big ass termites thing was like improvised.
1: Yeah, because Eddie Murphy is funny. He's yeah. a he's a funny comedian. He, you know, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have Samuel L. Jackson. We wouldn't have Chris Rock. Actually, no, I don't know that. He didn't know that. Yeah, he brought in a lot of. African American comedians to the world that are big now. Oh, for sure. Yes. Him and they used to compare him with another one which was Richard Pryor. So, that's why these two, him and Richard Pryor were such big African American comedians. They're pretty much to me I think that Richard Pryor's protege was Eddie Murphy and Eddie Murphy just took it to a whole different level of comedy.
2: Yeah, I mean, he definitely opened the gates for all these other comedians. Yeah, Yeah. and
1: then he opened the gate for all these other ones because he was that good.
2: Yeah, what was his comedy series called? Uh,
1: Oh, Delirious. Oh, Delirious. Okay, so remember, he was part of the 80s Saturday Night Live. Right. He was part of that that group. And then he did a stand-up movie, which was Delirious. I think
2: that his show was his big break, right?
1: Yeah. Well, Saturday Night Live, yes. Any comedian that... Inside Saturday Night Live, usually that's their big break, that's their big break, and then they come go out to do movies and stuff. But in that group of the 80s, he was more successful. There, was, there were other comedians that were in there that were good too, but there's always that one in that group that becomes more bigger, just right. like in the 90s. Who was bigger? Adam Sandler, right? Yeah, yeah. In whom the late '90s to the 2000s, Will Ferrell, right? Yeah. There's always that one comedian in that group that's gonna accelerate much more than the other ones.
2: Yeah, and in this case, it was Eddie Murphy. And
1: Eddie Murphy was the one for the '80s. Eddie he, Murphy
2: is such a diverse actor, though. I mean, it's amazing how he does like Doctor Doodle. What is it?
1: Doctor Doodle. Little. I don't know how to say <laughs> either. <laughs> uh, Doctor Doolittle.
2: Sorry, thank you, thank you. Dr. Doolittle? Yes. <laughs> okay, and I mean, no, just the idea that he plays several actors in one movie.
1: Oh, yes. Not
2: everyone can do that.
1: No, oh, uh, Coming to America, he does that. Uh, um, yeah. He does that, he even plays a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or
2: when he plays um, an Asian. Uh, oh, Norbit. <laughs> he plays, yeah, he plays the, the Asian dad in Norbit. That's so funny. He
1: just plays all these characters in one movie.
2: I mean, he's so talented. Yeah. You have to give him praise for that, you know.
1: Yeah, Eddie Murphy, yeah. And it's fun
2: when they, you know, and they choose this big actor to be in a children's film. Um, for this reason so the adults can like reminisce oh i love eddie murphy he's yeah. in all these movies it's fun yeah. to watch him he also does really good acting like um physical humor you know like uh, what they call it the clown humor he uses his body when he acts you know mm-hmm. if he plays like a feminine character he does a lot of bouncing because yeah. he has the breasts and his hands right yeah. or um especially um does he play russ in Norbit? yes okay <laughs>
1: yeah, how, does he,
2: how does he do that
1: i don't know but i can't I can tell you this, he's pretty thin because he wears all that and all that weight that's on him. Yeah. All that sweating, just like Doug Jones, all that makeup, all that stuff he has to wear. Right. It's a lot of weight you're carrying and it's gonna take a lot of energy. For sure. So you're burning calories when you're doing that.
2: Absolutely. And you know what else though, since you mentioned that, I haven't I have never seen an interview where Eddie Murphy complains about the makeup. Have Uh. you? No, No, you know, Jim Carrey almost quit the Grinch because he was so done with having to wear the Grinch suit and the makeup. I mean, granted, the Grinch was made of goat hair, but Eddie Murphy doesn't complain about all this stuff that he has to do. Like, he's such a a trooper, you know?
1: But it also depends on what kind of makeup or what kind of latex they use, what kind of substance they use. Because sometimes they can cover those pores pretty badly where you can actually dehydrate collapse for heat stroke you well know? that's
2: what I'm saying though is that Eddie Murphy played so many characters in one movie how long did he have to spend in those suits and yeah. how many times did he have to do shots again and again I've nice. never seen him complain yeah, about having right. to do that
1: yeah I started thinking about it now yeah
2: yeah so i mean he's he's a great actor he's you know clearly he's a trooper and he gives it his all in all mm-hmm. his movies and mm-hmm. i appreciate him for that i appreciate his movies
1: yeah i love eddie murphy man i love his movies man i love his beverly hills cops i love it to conclude this podcast eddie murphy is making another beverly hills cop
2: no way jose yes
1: it's coming out for netflix and it's pretty much the same cast so of course him it's axel foley okay and then his other two uh, cop friends, which one, Tagger and Rosewood, mm-hmm. they're coming back.
2: That's great. When yeah. a movie you know, comes back, it revives, and it has the same characters, that's all we can hope for.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. It should be really good. <laughs>
2: oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yes. Okay. But
1: anyways.
2: That was the Haunted Mansion, guys.
1: Yes. This is Philly Phil. And Nat Attack. And we are? The
2: Millennials of SoCal.
1: That was so yesterday. <laughs> shoo, shoo, shoo. <laughs> Our next episode is on Halloween day, going to end this spooky month with iconic slashers and legends. We must prepare for the great pumpkin, don't answer the door without a knife. Go to sleep with the lights on, these four slashers show no mercy. Let's not forget the King of Pops Ghost, a lesser known hit that gets us moving, but No one can beat Snoopy's dance moves. I hope you enjoyed the thrilling ride for the Halloween season. Don't worry, there's always next year for more scary fun topics. Catch it all on Monday on the Millennials of SoCal podcast.